That's right. That music can only mean one thing. Mm. The uh, Boston Sox are the World Series champions. And we're... <laughs> isn't that what this is? Isn't that this the theme of the Boston uh, Red Sox? No, that's that's, oh, oh, maybe... I'm sorry. I'm getting my... Another no. thing. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It, the Evil Dead on 4K. <laughs> no, that's what this is. No. This is... Uh, no? no? Not yet. No? Hold on. I'm, I'm so messed up here. I'm all mixed up. Oh, here we go. Uh, yes, that means the 2001 A Space Odyssey is out on 4K, Ultra Finally. HD, HDR, uh, movies anywhere, digital code on this. Uh, it's just not to be believed how wonderful this is. Now I'm spoiled. Now I want everything Kubrick on 4K tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you know me. I'm, I'm a cheap bastard, and I don't have a 4K television. <laughs> I may now, yeah. now... Now. Invest in a 4K television. They're cheap, dude. I know they are, but They're I'm a really cheap, cheap bastard. <laughs> and, 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 no, and frankly, I, I was waiting them to get down yeah. to around this price yeah. point, you know, because I'm, yeah. I'm that guy. I, yeah. I really am. Uh, but, but but between that price point and that box, yeah, oh, I'm there. It is, and of course they, they they've got you know all the marketing all over this thing, and I love the the little sticker that they put on the uh, on the packaging, which says, 50 years ago, one movie changed all movies." Forever, well, kind of. Yeah. Um, the the history of two thousand and one is really interesting, which is that when it first came out, it kind of tanked. Oh yeah, uh, and nobody went to see it. It was it was weird and long and, and had reviews, no ending, and reviews, and reviews were badly. Oh, but, but, by some by some folks, yeah. But then one of the marketing people at Warner Brothers said, "Let's change the marketing campaign," which you could do back then mm -hmm. because it was platformed; it had not gone wide. And uh, they called it the ultimate trip. Yeah. And suddenly, all the, every, all the, all the hippies, <laughs> every acid dropping uh, hippie went uh, and, and and got high and went to go see it and lost their minds yeah. at the end. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, the thing went viral. So uh, the yeah, the yeah, counterculture, yeah, yeah. the counterculture kind of made this movie because then everyone else revisited it and said, you know what, it's pretty good when you're not high too. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Anyway, look, what am I going to tell you? It's 2001. It's the, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's my favorite film of all time. And uh, it's a, it's a, just a beautiful thing. It has a commentary with Care Delay and uh, Gary Lockwood, uh, a, uh, a Channel 4 documentary on the making of 2001, which, if you haven't seen it, is just absolutely spectacular. And then some featurettes, which are all, you know, uh, they're all fine. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the Channel 4 doc that really uh, is the moneymaker here. And then um, there's artwork and, uh, you know, a whole lot of other really interesting stuff on here. Audio only, uh, uh, audio interview that uh, Jeremy Bernstein conducted with Kubrick in 1966. So, I mean, it's a, this is just a loaded set. It's great. Upgrade by all means. Whatever you have on 2001, you could just take that and, you know, give it to your, your, your niece or your <laughs> grandchild or whatever and uh, let them deal with it. But 2001 A Space Odyssey 4K Ultra HD. Uh, I got a bunch of other 4Ks now, and then we're going to get into a little bit of a discussion on things that have happened in the last couple of weeks because, of course, we had our LAFCA awards. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm kind of burned out. You burned out, Tim? Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and I'm on the show. I'm on the big Christmas show. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, a lot of those movies I saw because, yeah. you know, LAFCA awards, yeah. but then there's a whole stack that I didn't. But nevertheless, it's like still another week of watching. Movies. I'm on film week on the 28th. Yeah. 
when nothing is opening. <laughs> and then I'm on again the next week, January 4th, where like three terrible movies are opening. So yeah. I don't really know what the, <laughs> there's not much to talk about those shows. Uh, we do also have a 4K Ultra HD of uh, Evil Dead 2, Sam Raimi's very, very popular sequel to The Evil Dead. Uh, Evil Dead 2 is a riot, just a stone-cold riot. This yeah. is the one where Bruce Campbell really just loses his mind and establishes his persona that he's lived on for the next, well, well right. the last 35 years. Yeah, 35 years now, yeah. Anyway, Evil Dead 2, 4K. Uh, I don't know if it needs to be on 4K, but it's fine. It's fun on 4K. There's a lot of special features here that are Blu-ray only. Uh, most of it having to do with just Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, and a lot of Bruce Campbell, and more Bruce Campbell. Well, the blood in that movie never did look like blood. No. And it still don't look like blood no. in this movie. No. It, it looks Not like, even close. You know, catch up. Uh, but, you know, that's okay. We also have a cool DC Universe movie uh, on 4K, The Death of Superman, which is... Really interesting because if you saw uh, Justice League, Justice League really deals with uh, the death of Superman. That kind of takes the the comic book story, the death of Superman, and that's where it goes. Mm -hmm. But um, or actually, uh, Iron the, the the second Man of Steel yeah. and Justice League together, together really yeah. kind of uh, constitute that. But um, this is much more faithful to the comic story and uh, to the graphic novel, the original graphic novel. And it's quite good, actually. It's, I think, better than the live-action stuff, which I know I say about all the DC stuff all the time. Looks great in 4K. Really, really just uh, just pops. All the colors pop. Beautiful for animation, 4K is. And uh, bonus features here. Death Superman, the brawl that topped them all. And uh, a couple of bonus cartoons from the DC Comics Vault. Also on 4K this week is The Nun. I don't think it really needs to. This is, uh, you know, Luke liked this. Our friend Luke Thompson, oh, yeah. um, who's our genre guy at LAFCA, always uh, comes out to try to, you know, give everybody, uh, you know, explain to people why films like this matter. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure this one does. Yeah. I mean, of the Conjuring it, it, films, it's, it's it seems that, to be the weakest. It's in that family of those movies. Right. Yeah, I yeah. don't like it, really. I think it's kind of dumb, but whatever. Uh, that's on 4K. We also have Venom. Uh, with Tom Hardy, uh, another movie that I absolutely despise. I think yeah. this thing is. There were people who love that movie, though. You know, I, I just don't no, get it. You know, uh, yeah. it's just the co the comedy in it is so misplaced and so weird. Mm. And I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not into the comic book. I'm not into the comic Venom stuff. But it it obvi they obviously expect to have a sequel because they you know introduce Woody Harrelson as a certain character at the end. Um, uh, anyway, they have an extended post credit sequence and some deleted stuff, uh, deleted scene stuff on here, and it, that's all fine and well. Uh, that's on 4K. Uh, the House with a Clock in Its Walls, also on 4K. Didn't, didn't care for it. No, no. Didn't, didn't get into this either. This wanted to be kind of a magical genre thing, Jack Black, and uh, yeah, no, that didn't really take flight, but it's there. Um, Westworld Season 2. Also out on 4K from HBO. I, you know, I, I think they may want to call it quits here. Uh, partly because they don't have Sherm. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sherm, they lost Sherm. Our, our good friend in uh, the first season. Of West it was in the first season, uh, which made the first season better. But uh, no, I think I think they've kind of run their course with season two. I really do. Uh, there are other there are new featurettes here. It's still really good. Uh, good performances by uh, Tandy Newton and, 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 and others, but they opened it up and moved Jeffrey, out. Little... Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright, Evan yeah. Rachel Wood. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's uh, it, it. I mean, they're, it's a, it's a really good cast and they're very very solid. But I don't know, you know, Ed Harris is to terrific. To me, in it. the theme was complete at the end of the first. It season. was. You know. Yes. You know, what, you know, that's the, it. The theme of the movie is complete. Now we want to explore what happens when. Well, yep. oh, that's fine, but you're just making stuff up. Uh, another Justice League DC Universe movie thrown. 
Throne of Atlantis commemorative edition, being released obviously as the Aquaman movie is about mm, to be released. You got to see that one for the show coming up uh, Wednesday. Maybe yeah, I'm, I'll be there Wednesday. I'll see okay. you there. Yeah, I'll yeah. see you there at the screening. Uh, yeah, I want to see it, man. Jason yeah, Momoa, you yeah, kidding me? Come yeah, on, an Aquaman Jason. who's, yeah. you know... I, I, I go with Jason back, too. Jason used to run around on uh, one of those Stargate series or something. That's right. Like that. that was his big maybe, break. Yeah, maybe one of the... You know. one of the other ones. But he, that's what he used to run around, yeah. He's, uh, he's married to Lisa Bonet now. <laughs> oh, good move, Jason. Did you know that? I did not know that. I did not know that either. Good move, Jason. I yeah. mean, it's you know, for some reason, I I know I know Lisa and Lenny broke up years ago. Years ago but yeah. Every time I see Zoe, I just kind of imagine that they're still together. Yeah. So now I'm going. So Jason Momo. So wait a minute. Zoe Kravitz's stepfather is Aquaman. <laughs> is Aquaman? Does that mean that Zoe has powers? I see now. My mind is going into weird places. Uh, but anyway, this is the very this is very much the uh, the comic version of Aquaman, and this one the uh, the buff blonde guy as yeah, opposed to yeah. the, uh, the the rowdy Polynesian guy. I like the Polynesian take better because yeah. um, you know yeah blonde, it makes makes more sense. Just makes more sense. Yeah, just feels like uh, feels like feels off authentic. Uh, but anyway, this is quite good as well. The uh, Throne of Atlantis. Uh, if you really need your your Aquaman fix and the the live action movie isn't enough, this is fine. A lot of special features in here, including a uh, 2014 New York Comic-Con panel that is an absolute great, great time, and uh, a bunch of featurettes and uh, and uh, an audio commentary as well. So that's a lot of fun. And then these are the two 4Ks, uh, apart from 2001, that I really want to recommend. I don't know why this didn't get a theatrical release. It should have. Galveston uh, is on uh, from uh, Robert Johnson's uh, RLJ-E, uh, RLJ Entertainment. Um, this was directed by Melanie Laurent, the oh, French really? actress. Oh, yeah. Of course, from you know, yeah. uh, Inglorious Bastards and many yeah. other things. Melanie uh, is a, is a, a great director in her own right. Uh, I did a panel with her at uh, Colcoa this last year, and uh, she was in a couple of films and had another one that she directed, which is just absolutely beautiful. This is her first English language film, and it is absolutely rock solid. It is just terrific. Uh, it's got Ben Foster and Elle Fanning in it. Bo Bridges in a supporting part, um, well-directed, beautiful performances. I don't know why they didn't think they could rock this at the uh, in theaters, but mm. uh, they need to, and uh, you need to discover this. So go out and check out Galveston. It's just a wonderful, wonderful kind of a European-style film, but very much about uh, a particular kind of Americana. It's in that... Um, it's in that so it, uh, not not some it's uh, badlands. Yeah, it's a badlands kind of a story. And of course, not unheard of for the French for yeah. French directors to engage in Amer Americana. Yeah, and and you know go all the way yep. back to the wave. You know, so that that's not weird. That's yep. a thing that's always gone on in yep. cinema. There's only one extra on this, which is a making of featurette, but don't let that throw you. It's it's a good movie. Four K Galveston, really great performances. And then lastly. Tom Cruise, still the last movie star, not aging in Mission Impossible Fallout, the latest yeah, Mission Impossible film. So much fun. Look, I mean, I can't even get into the plot. It's just Tom Cruise just going crazy on a lot of stunts. Yeah, there's like a whole international espionage, yada, yada, yada. You know the drill. Yeah. But there are two things going on here. There's a chase scene in the streets of Paris that has to be one of the greatest things I've ever seen filmed. And it's a real chase scene. There's no CGI here. They shut down mm -hmm. streets in Paris. Not for the yellow vest protesters, but for Tom Cruise and an amazing chasing with cars and motorcycles and trucks, and it is unbelievable. And I, Christopher McQuarrie, who directed this, I tip my hat, man. That is some, that is some ace directing. 
And then there is a finale that takes the whole, do I cut the red wire or the blue wire thing yeah. <laughs> over the cliff, man. It just takes, it says, you know what? It's a cliche and we're going to go with it yeah. and we're going to rock it to the nth degree and it is a riot. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. With it, you know, bombs and... You know, yeah, it's fantastic. And again, he does he does in that one what he, what he started to do a while ago and he even uh, does in the Jack Reacher series is he yeah. lets the ladies yep. uh, in the film... Uh, do plenty. Let's gives them yeah. lots well, yeah. to do. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah, the, the knocking cats out and saving the day. And it's, it's not great. all. It's not all just on Ethan Hunt. It's a whole. It's a whole lot of fun. Mission <laughs> and fall. Got to get it in 4K. And yeah. of course, a lot of extras on here too. A lot of them on Blu-ray. But that's fine. It's just it's loaded. Go watch it. It's a fun. Uh, let's see. We're gonna do a little bit of a uh, some of the new movies. Some new movies. Yeah. You know, I was really super duper disappointed, but frankly, kind of disappointed before I even saw it. Papillon, the the this this remake yeah. from, from this guy named yeah. Michael Nor, whose work, frankly, I didn't really know, so I yeah. don't know why he got. And you know, so you got uh, 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 um, Rami Malek. And and Charlie Hume and Rami, you know, we're talking about him for his performance out of uh, Bo- he's probably, uh, probably going to win in, in uh, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's certainly possible, yeah. um, uh, although not good here at all. Nothing is good here at all. And why? Why that movie? Steve McQueen, of course, uh, uh, and Dustin, Dustin Hoffman uh, still stands up. It's a perfectly yeah. watchable movie. It's not the kind of movie that ages. The story might have aged. Yeah, it's based on the true story. Yep. Or the novel, uh, this which guy. has never been a French film. It, which by the is way, the oddest thing you pointed that yeah. out back when I had to talk about this. On it's the a show. famous French novel, and for I mean, and the French have literally made every great French novel into a movie at least twice. Yeah. I mean, you name it. Everything that Alexander Dumas wrote, Alexander Dumas Junior wrote. Every, I mean, everything. Everything Victor Hugo wrote has Certainly been done the over and over. Yeah. That is a famous French novel from the twentieth century. A real-life novel, a real-life story, yeah. has never been made as a French film. It's now been made twice as an English-language film. What's interesting is that, I don't he, get it. that he was alive and walking around during the making of that first film yeah. and actually kind of negotiated the making of that film yeah. himself. You know, So interesting stuff. But anyway, this really didn't work at all. Uh, deleted scenes are the only bonus features yeah. on a Papillon. Uh, blind spotting. You know, inter- I, I, this movie came out a little bit earlier in the year. I watched it. I liked it a lot. Fell right back into our awards mix, yeah, too, yeah, which it, I was, it I kinda, was impressed by. It kind of back in. I was yeah. glad. So you got nominated uh, quite a bit, and I was glad about that. Um, part musical, but not really. It's about these these guys up in Oakland, uh, 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 California. A guy gets out of um, gets out of prison, Yep. Uh, and he's in a little halfway house situation, and he has this girlfriend who broke up with him. And, and we find out a lot about him and his best friend, who, who is this white guy who also grew up in Oakland with them, and that dynamic. Yeah, that sort of that sort of thing that's going on there, and how this guy is always dragging him back into these sort yeah. of, and, and 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 it's just this ironic sort of dynamic. A lot of hip hop going on. It's a neat neat movie. That it's I, a good that little I, movie that I enjoyed quite a lot. Uh, special features, deleted scenes, and this, that, and the other thing. Di- an audio di- uh, diary with the director, um, and a commentary with David Diggs and Raphael Casal. We've got support the girls, which oh, was, I love that movie so much. Which you probably like it more than I do. I, uh, do. I look, I love Regina Hall. Uh, I love uh, Leah Delaria. I love James Lagro. I love everybody in this movie. I love everybody except the director Andrew Bajalski, <laughs> who is sort of the, the he was the guy. He's like the original um, mumblecore guy. Yeah, he's one and, of them. Yeah, and and even you know it, it, we mostly associate it now with the with the brothers. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but but he's kind of the and it's still a, I just I don't know I just his movies just don't it's it's something about the way he makes movies I don't get with but I but I readily concede everybody else loves this movie 
Um, you know, it's uh, it, the whole. It, it kind of gets the whole sports bar culture in a very, yeah. very endearing, character-driven way. It from which which mostly means from the from the women's uh, yes. perspective. Yes. Hence, the hall, support the girls. Support the girls and yeah. all these all, and all these women who have to wear these goofy outfits and these men. Yeah. And how they sort of have to manipulate and uh, and manage all of that. And it was just a cute, cute little movie. It's not Coyote Ugly. Let's put it no. that way. No. no. <laughs> My lord, I actually forgot about that. Christopher Robin. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of folks like this. You know what? Here's the here's the litmus test for these kinds of movies. Mm. My daughter. Yeah, and okay. If it don't go, it don't go. Yeah. She loves Winnie the Pooh. She when the when the when the the weird the weird little come to life like this is literally a you know we had the um the other Christopher Robin movie yeah. the Fox Searchlight thing yeah. that was all about you know, uh, you know the war and the, his sad the war dark, and yeah. his World War One experience and he's shell shocked and how he re- and the real Christopher Robin how he became a celebrity and ruined his life this is just Disney going nuts and saying what if Christopher Re- it's all what if it has no bearing on reality the grown Christopher Robin it's the same story as uh, as the new Mary Poppins oh and and, and take frankly, the child make them grow up they've lost their childhood they need to recapture the magic and then the magic comes back in the form of fill in the blank Winnie the Pooh or Mary Poppins oh it's ridiculous and, and, and it's sort of irritating because the central thing is the wife they, they play the wife as a yeah. uh, as a nag yeah and, and and she's nagging him about you know you can't well you're never here you know and he's like I'm at work <laughs> are you are you kidding me it's not like he's cheating he's like I mean, I got this crazy boss yeah. who's like up my ass, and you're yeah. all, all over me. And and then I got these goofy animals who come back and tell me, I, I don't need. I'm having a psychotic break. It would have <laughs> been more interesting if they had played it as a psychotic break. Yeah, because you know, at least it would have been. They true. wanted it to be magical and, yeah, and my, charming. My daughter did not find it magical. No, well, what? Why would she care about a middle-aged man's <laughs> it's a sort of midlife crisis and his nagging wife? That's nuts. So uh, the funniest – now let's talk about our voting for a moment Yeah. Uh, because it pertains. So we, of course, uh, had a great voting meeting on Sunday. I think it was one of the best ever. It was long. It was long. But it was good. But, it, yeah. was, it was good because we wound up – you know, the, the, the group is – we have a really interesting mix of people now. We have um, a broader age range, a broader range of experience, more women than ever – um, uh, you know, it, it could use a little more color in the group, but, but we're getting there. And uh, it just feels more like a group that represents the, the world of movies now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah it, it, particularly the age thing. And, 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 and you know, I mean, a little more color. Um, lots of Asian people in the group. We need some more. I think Claudia Puig is the only Latin. She is. Used to have, used to have the guy who wrote for La Opinion. I don't oh, know yeah. where he went. But, uh, but, but literally um, that, so that for sure. But it know. felt like, okay, this was really interesting. And it's an organic thing. You even said it too, that it's, that our choices were not our choices because we felt like we needed to, you know, like because we, were, we were, in were in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but they were, they were really – People's heartfelt choices, yeah. and uh, we gave only our third ever directing award to a woman, Deborah mm-hmm. Granick. Mm-hmm. Top award went to Roma, mm-hmm. uh, Alfonso Cuarón. Despite film. the fact that there aren't that many Latin people in the group, totally. The the two finalists for best picture were both foreign language films. Mm-hmm. One of which wound up being a finalist for uh, for uh, a foreign language as well, mm-hmm. which had no European films in it. Yeah, which is. Unheard of. Yeah, yeah, and frankly, a lot of love given that might not show up in the actual awards, but nevertheless, in the room, you and I know yeah. a lot of love for Beale Street, a lot of love a for Black Klansman, a lot of love for Black Panther, a lot, uh, a lot of love for for Paddington too. For, yeah, <laughs> which nearly won Hugh Grant supporting actor. That was and that was all about Alonzo yeah. at the last minute. I think everyone, had, most people, had seen Paddington too, but I don't think anybody had the courage to say. 
I really like this movie. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's kind of like a guilty pleasure. Like, I don't want to admit that I really, really thought it was good until Alonzo's like, this is a great movie. And everybody was like, well, if Alonzo thinks, oh, damn it, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm coming out of the Paddington 2 closet. That, that's a thing that can happen sometimes. It, it, I, it, people were gobsmacked by that. But you know what? Hugh Grant and Paddington 2 is terrific. Yeah. So anyway, funniest moment of the meeting, correct me if I'm wrong, was when Melissa McCarthy's getting a lot of love for Best Actress in the in the Marielle Heller movie, <laughs> right? We're going around the room, yes, and uh, uh-huh. and we come around and 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 Peter Rayner, ever the deadpan with that monotone yeah. voice of his, uh, comes around. And you have to name the movie too, because a lot of performers are in multiple more movies, one, more than one movie. Every, so yeah. so you have to name them for the performance for one movie. And we may vote on including another movie after the fact, but so Peter Rayner, with like the genius of timing of of, of a comic, <laughs> says uh, three points, Melissa McCarthy, for the Happy Time Murders, <laughs> and the room <laughs> lost it. They lost it. Uh, it was just uh, through the roof. And the reason being, because the Happy Time Murders is uh, presumably not good. Now, yeah, I saw it. That's it for the show. Wow. I'm gonna, really bad. I, you know what? I'm going to defend it a little bit. Um, it's not good. It clearly was all about uh, Jim Henson's son saying, "I'm going to take Dad's legacy and I'm going to make it naughty." Oh yeah, and and I'm going to make it as close to X-rated as I can get. Which it. is kind of Meet the Feebles, which yeah. is sort of where where that began, the Peter Jackson film. Um, it's not Meet the Feebles. It's not terribly funny, but it has two or three moments in it that oh, really yeah, the, are the, the, very the, funny. The, that office scene. Is great. Yeah, which is, watch the Red Band trailer. You can get that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the, uh, the Red Band trailer will give you what you need. It cuts it better. Yeah. The, the scene is cut better in the trailer, actually. I admit that. But, uh. Uh, but still, you know what? Melissa McCarthy is fun in moments. And uh, it was, it's, uh, it's kind of. You know what it does, though? It, it, they, what they were depending on is her to simply do that stand up thing that she does. Yeah. So it's really the series of moments where, of where she's, just, she's just knocking them off. Knocking they them were off, expecting her to make it funny. Yeah. And and then, yeah. and then I can see in the editing room they sat down and they said, "We'll use this one. Yeah. We'll use that one." And I bet you the rest are on the deleted scenes on that thing. Crazy rich Asians. My top ten. It's on yeah. my top ten. You know. And again, a lot of love for this movie in the room. Yeah. Uh, in the in the uh, in, in the context of the film, it's kind of tanking in uh, China though. This you is heard what this is. We what were talking with Alex. Alex. Yeah. yeah. That's a, in, in, in his explanation for why yeah. it's a film for Asian Americans. It speaks yep. to issues that they are yep. having uh, with the dynamic of their families. Well, the novel and the novelist has even said that. That's yeah. what he wrote it for. Yeah, he Kevin wrote Kwan. it. Yeah. He wrote it to to bring a certain Asian experience to non Asians in America. Yeah, and and certain to to evoke the experience of a lot of Asian Americans who have a connection, you know, still through their parents or their grandparents or through their spouses and to to some culture that is mm-hmm. very or, or old the, and ingrained. Yeah, I, cultural ideas anyway. Even it's, if, it's, I mean, it's a great movie. Even it's if the people movie. actually in, in country aren't experiencing any of this. And they're like, what the hell are these crazy, I, what are these Asian Americans talking about? I love Aquafina's trunk. <laughs> that girl carries a, a change of clothes for every occasion in her trunk with labels. Oh, I love it. How love great it. is that? Special features, commentary by the director, John M. Chu, and uh, with the, the novelist, Kevin Kwan, on there. It's a really, you know, deleted scenes, a gag reel, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the really exceptional and notable movies of the year. Yep. Uh, a couple real quickly here. Lizzie is, with uh, Chloe Sevigny and uh, Kristen Stewart, is the Lizzie Borden story told very slowly, <laughs> really slowly. Now, um, the uh, Chloe Sevigny, of course, plays Lizzie Borden, and... Uh, 
uh, Kristen Stewart plays. Well, you you she's the the she's the other person who may or may not have been a partner in the crime. Lizzie Borden is widely seen as the the only axe murderer in the crime, but Kristen Stewart uh, is a maid who works for the family, and um, you know may or may not have been involved in certain ways. I don't want to give anything away, but in, in any case, the uh, the story. I, you know what? It's an acquired taste. I didn't particularly mm. care for the film. I respected the acting. Um, they obviously said we're not going to make a horror film. We're not going to make a thriller. We're just going to make a character study, and that kind of drains it of a lot of obvious drama that's inherent in the material. But that said, it's still you know beautifully shot, uh, generally well done, well crafted. It just didn't engage me to any great degree. Uh, the other one is Viking Destiny. Oh, what the hell did they do with this movie? I don't even know why this movie exists. Um, this is just this is just like a feminist Viking romp. It's a it's a hack and slash movie, or what do they call them? Slash and hack, <laughs> slash and hack and slash. slash, hack and slash. Yeah, it's one of those. One of those medieval deals uh, centered around a Viking princess who uh, basically is kind of a messianic figure here, and she's framed from the murder of her father, who was, you know, a great, a great, mighty uh, chieftain. And then she starts seeing Odin visiting her. And unless Odin is Anthony Hopkins from the Thor movies, I'm not into it. Yeah. In this case, uh, Odin is Terrence Stamp, who gives it his all, but it's a real cheesy movie. Uh, anyway, it's on Blu-ray. It's got a uh, digital copy on it. You know, knock yourself out, but it's Viking Destiny. Don't expect much. Ah, Viking Destiny. The the children act. An Emma Thompson film with Stanley Tucci. You'd think that that would make for a pretty good movie. She's playing this this judge. She smears to Stanley. I Tucci. think she's really good in this. The she movie is, is just very. The tepid. movie is just very. And and you know, and it's all about this kid uh, who has a religious uh, situation where he doesn't uh, want a blood transfusion, yeah. and whether or not she's going to make him get the blood. The backdrop of the family. The two things don't go go together. For no, me, you know, it's all very turgid, actually. Yeah, you know, uh, for me, it's what it was. Special features, uh, audio commentary with the director Richard Iyer, wonderful director, generally speaking, actually. Uh, Peppermint, Jennifer Garner. To me, Peppermint was a re-audition uh, film for Jennifer to prove yeah. to the Marvel Universe <laughs> that, that, that she, she still got that it. She still got yeah. it. Hey, because she's thinking to herself, you stick Ben in that Batman suit, uh, you know, he's usually got to go to rehab. Yep. Uh, but I'm standing here. I'm look. I look great. I can kick ass. Uh, you know, wrap a sister in something and pay me twenty million dollars, like you like you do him. And I don't blame her for that. The movie's not that fantastic. It's about a mother uh, whose you know, husband and children are killed by a, a sort of rogue situation that goes down in their their community. Uh, she tries to take care of it in court. The court system won't take care of it. She she goes she goes rogue after that. This is this is where it goes a little goofy. She goes off the radar. And for some reason, there ends up being these videos of her in places like Cambodia and Laos, and she's in these underground, like apparently mm -hmm. underground fight rings that they apparently have in in these places where women beat the snot uh, out of it, each other. It, you know, and I'm I like, really? They have those? I guess. <laughs> I guess. You know, I mean, you know, hey, I come from women in cages films, so <laughs> far be it from me to be too snotty about that, but that was a little silly. Nevertheless, she shows back up in this community and the crime starts to go away, and why? Because Peppermint ain't having it. Uh, you know, so yeah, whatever with all that. But you know what? She's right about this. She still got it. She looks fantastic. She can throw a punch. She runs like a dude. I, I, you know what I mean? Because some you. women don't. You know, they, yeah. but she runs like a dude, and you believe it when she throws that right hook. Yeah. So you know, way to go, Jennifer. 
Good going. Uh, boy, this was an unfortunate movie. Bel Canto, based on a uh, best-selling novel that I mm. never read. But uh, this is directed and uh, co-written by Paul Weitz of the Weitz Brothers. Chris Weitz is the one who's been getting most of the attention as, yeah. a, as a big director these days. They, of course, did uh, About a Boy together years ago. <laughs> but um, uh, Paul is a very good director himself, and uh, this is just not a very good film. I think it's not a good film because it just isn't a very good subject. I, I don't know what the novel presented, but it it clearly doesn't transition here. Um, the idea here is that you've got a uh, famous opera singer played by Julianne Moore who can't sing a lick. She mm. lip syncs everything in here. Um, is uh, performing at the uh, at, a, at a birthday party for this Japanese businessman in a South American country, and a bunch of gorillas storm the party and take them all hostage. And then it just gets ridiculous and maudlin. I mean, it really does. Uh, Ken Watanabe plays the uh, the host, the birthday boy, yeah. and Julianne Moore winds up trying to teach some of the gorillas how to like get in touch with their inner selves. One of them really wants to be an opera singer, and she starts giving him lessons. And next thing. You're just like, uh, I'm sorry, but what? Uh, you know, talk, I've I've read accounts from people who've been held hostage, and in some cases, they develop a relationship with their yeah, captors. The Stockholm syndrome, but or they, they are not taking lessons and talking about mom and dad, and you know, let's get together when this all blows over and have a lunch. This is just, it's just, it just doesn't fly. Yeah. And then the singing is not great, and it's it's an unfortunate movie. But it's on Blu-ray if you want to see it. And Julianne Moore is always adorable. Sort of snotty, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Teen Titans? Yeah, why not? Teen Titans go to the movies. Sure. But look, this is stupid and fun. I liked it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I love it. It's very I, meta. It's, it's very meta. And by, you know, the, the Teen Titans. And then, you know, I used to, I, I used to, these, the, the sort of children version of the superheroes yeah. of our youth used to really get on my nerves. All that stuff that was yeah. running on the water. For whatever reason now, I find it cute and funny and I just enjoy the heck out of it. And it seems to, there, for one thing, there's a whole lot more verisimilitude in the children version of the superheroes. By the yeah. time they turn into adults, into, 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 into Ben Affleck's sure. Batman, yeah. I don't ever want to hear from that guy again. Yep. Uh, you know this. This Batman's kind of funny, <laughs> not not a green yeah. cat. Now it's kind of pissy. Uh, all kinds of special features. This is for little kids, though, folks. Uh, the music videos and stuff like that. So you know, if you want to get your kids started out young, uh, Teen Titans go to the movies from DC. So we also have Unbroken Path to Redemption. This is the sequel to Angelina Jolie's Unbroken film, yeah. uh, which was not a faith-based film per se, even though the character is very much a religious figure and wrote his book, and it was all about his you know, faith sustaining his, uh, his uh, World War II uh, prisoner of war experience. Um, it ended halfway through his memoirs, after which is when he becomes um, you know, a, a guy who's a minister, and he gets very close to Billy Graham, and it gets very religious in the second half of, of the novel. So they, to make a mainstream film, they only made the first half of the novel and let Angelina Jolie direct it. And then the same producers said, let's just finish the thing off, but the next film will be obviously much lower budget, and it will deal with all the faith stuff. And so this is very much a faith-based film. It's kind of by the numbers. It's not very interesting. Uh, the acting is quite mediocre. Production values are fine. Um, it, but, you know, he just basically he comes back from being a prisoner of war, becomes a jerk, uh, marries the love of his life, who's very religious. And then, you know, uh, their marriage starts falling apart as he's, you know, assier and assier. And eventually he comes back to God. And it's the same story that we get in all these faith-based yeah. films. So that said, if you really want to see the whole story, here's another movie, but it's not as good as what Angelina Jolie did the first time around. Ah, yeah, there you go. Uh, Juliet Naked, which is uh, an adaptation of a um, Nick Hornby 
novel. You know, back in the day, a Nick Hornby adaptation used to make for A-list material and, you know, sort of box office gold, going all the way back to uh, High Fidelity, About a Boy, uh, you know, I don't know. But it, it, lately, not so much. Nevertheless, this, this is an okay movie. I, I can just remember a time when, when, when this cast, uh, you know, would have actually turned out something interesting. So you got Rose Byrne, you got uh, Chris O'Dowd, you have Ethan Hawke in this film. Um, uh, you got O'Dowd and Byrne who are involved in this relationship, and she's kind of stuck in it, and, and you know, he's kind of dull. The only thing he has is this obsession uh, with this old uh, rock star from way back in the day, pl played by Ethan Hawke. Uh, and one way or another, he comes into contact with him, and, 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 but what happens is Hawke and, and, and Byrne develop the actual relationship. And, and what happens, what happens? Like I said, adapted, adapted from a Nick Hornby novel. Mm, I don't know. It's Ethan, it's ha Ethan Hawke's had a good year, though, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as, well, a, yeah, as first, an actor first, first and a director, reform, first yeah. reform, and he directed Blaze, yeah. which is also really good. And I, I just hope some people remember that at awards time, too. It's... Uh, well, he's got a little bit of love yeah. in the room too. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, and certainly first reform his performance yeah. in particular. Yeah, which we which we, we gave it to him. So, yeah. so there yeah. you go. Operation Finale is uh, not a very good movie. Mm. The this is l very loose, loose adaptation on the story of the capture of Adolf Eichmann, with Oscar Isaac as the uh, Israeli intelligence officer who sort of leads the the team into South America to capture Eichmann, who is played by Ben Kingsley. Um, it's a great story in theory, uh, the actual execution of it, but they fabricate so much here. It's all just so, so kind of hokey and, and silly and by the numbers, and it just doesn't, uh, it never, it, it just never really catches fire. Uh, and this is directed by the other Whites brother. This is directed by Chris Whites, uh, and who's also a very good director normally, but again, the material is not up to it. He and his brother just kind of got shafted uh, this time around. Um, it just doesn't, you know, Ben Kingsley really kind of doesn't, I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people wanted this to be an awards contender, but it just never gets there. It's just kind of by the numbers. And at a certain point, it feels like Argo. Mm -hmm. It really does. It just started, I'm like, am I watching a remake of Argo? Yeah. Where yeah. Is there a movie within this movie? You know, it winds up, because Argo did the same problem, which is at the end, it just, it just turns into Delta Force. Yeah. And I don't need that. I saw Delta Force. Yeah. If, if, unless, you, unless you got Lee Marvin, I'm yeah. not on board. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> Let's see. Uh, excuse me, folks. River Runs Red, Tay Diggs, George Lopez, Luke Hemsworth, et cetera, et cetera, and John Cusack. And this movie that, you know, look, on the, actually it's not that bad. You have this judge uh, played by Tay Diggs who has a son who is killed by a couple of rogue cops, cops who are just sort of like bad. Uh, and, you know, so you're speaking to some sort of uh, contemporary issues around uh, things that go on nowadays, but put in this very particular context, right? So he hooks up with this uh, other cop who finds out some evidence uh, about the bad cops and, uh, and George Lopez, who also lost a son uh, under suspicious circumstances, and they decide to go vigilante, sort of a star chamber kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know, it's... Um, it, it, it's a movie about revenge, man. It's just a good old, it's just a good old, you killed my son, revenge movie. And uh, there's something sort of gratuitously satisfying about it <laughs> for, for a brother like me, right about now. I don't know what the hell that is, but but but, uh, but it but it was. I'll tell you that. As opposed to mild a twenty mild twenty two, which is just another standard work a day. Uh, not even work a day. Not you know, just 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 you know Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, you know, give me a gun and, and 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 put me in charge of a team and give me an assignment and 
and and, and a few people to say some 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 yeah. some some snappier, not always so snappy one-liners too, and you know, and we'll shoot our way through this thing. Yeah, no. Uh, and you know what? I, no, man, you're not getting he and, better he and, anymore. He and Peter Berg have got to kind of find another groove. Yeah, I think you've I think you've exhausted the thing that they're they've been doing for years. Yeah, so. you know, and that and frankly, that's all it. Well, why well, they need new gear? Yeah, uh, a lot of bonus features on this thing, though. Uh, so you know, check it out if you're into that stuff. Uh, I loved Colette. I know a lot of people weren't really, really into it. This is a Blu-ray, di- DVD, and Kira, digital Kira copy. Knightley made it. She, she's just she ex- did. She's extraordinary. Typically, yeah. I would want to see this done as a French film, um, but you know what? It's a it's a great, great kind of early biopic or or, or partial biopic of uh, Colette, the famous novelist who, of course, became one of the greatest writers in French history. Wrote Gigi and many other. Uh, uh, great things, um, and this is basically the story of how she became Colette when she she married uh, Willie Dominic West, who's a very popular novelist of his day, and how she sort of uh, at first became his ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. You know, she wrote the stuff. He came up with an idea and said, "Make that a thing," and then he would take credit for it. And uh, eventually, she she emerged from his shadow, and and uh, it became clear she was the genius, and uh, he was just uh, a marketing tool. But it's a great story. How she, you know, how he, how they marry, and and how their lives progressed in uh, Parisian culture, and and you know the people that they interfaced with. Beautifully shot, amazing score, an absolutely dazzling score. Uh, that it, it just it it goes right to your heart. It's absolutely a wonderful movie. Uh, and the score, by the way, is by. Um, ooh, I'm sorry. That's all right. Let me. Let me I, I, I Tim's got to take a call. That's the kind of that's the kind of show that we have here. Um, I'll keep rolling through things. The uh, anyway, the uh, so Thomas um, Ades, I think is how you pronounce his name, is the composer, a very very uh, distinguished a uh, comp- classical composer. This is his first major film score, so it's really he's just he's just applying the uh, the his his style of classical music to this film, and it is lush and it is beautiful and so it's just wonderful through and through. So, uh, Colette is definitely a good film to uh, to check out. I don't know if it'll get any love at Academy Awards time. It may be just a little bit too subdued, a little too under the radar. But um, Bleecker Street really did a great job with this. Universal has released it, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital. And then uh, I will make mention really quickly. We talked uh, just for a moment uh, jokingly at the top about the Boston Red Sox. There are some Blu-ray releases for fans of the Sox uh, or baseball in general. You've got the regular DVD World Series Champions 2018, uh, the the regular generic World Series film, the official 2018 film, with a lot of really, really cool extras. And uh, that's for people who have no patience. If you really, really have patience and you want to see every single shred of the thing all over again, then go get yourself the uh, World Series Collector's Edition, which is eight Blu-ray discs, all just loaded with the the entire thing, all five games, uh, along with uh, the uh, American League uh, Game 4 and uh, the ALDS Game 4 and ALCS Game 5. Plus, uh, you know, you even get options to listen to the Spanish language version of the uh, the, the uh, uh, broadcast. I mean, it's just it's there's more stuff here than anybody's ever going to want unless you're so diehard that you want to relive this thing over and over and over, and you have the time to do so. And uh, lastly, here 
before we get into some classic movies or some, some oh my catalog- god, not really? classics, uh, t- catalogs. <laughs> okay, Let's call them catalog you. titles. I, not I classics. actually felt that. That actually literally hurt. <laughs> I did. I did the junket for every one of these movies. Yeah. They're not classics. They're just, well, they're classics to somebody. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> Maybe know. not to us. But we have a few final um, holiday titles, I guess, kind of. Uh, the first one is called Snowflake, which I guess is a holiday title only because it's called Snowflake. Uh, but anyway, their tagline on this, I can't even repeat on the, on, on the show. This is from Artsploitation Films. This is basically a... Um, it's like a really, I don't want to call it holiday torture porn. It's not even holiday themed. It's just called Snowflake. That's why I'm including it. Uh, but it's uh, it's kind of, maybe Evil Dead is a better analogy to this. The um, the This is takes place in Berlin in the near future. And there are these gangs that want to go to war with each other. And uh, what prevents it are these... How would I even say this? Mm. Like fairy tale monsters, fairy tale animals, fairy tale creatures. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, that get in the way, and none of it makes any sense. It's really ultra violent. It's a little bit campy, and um, you know, it it would make for an interesting Christmas. <laughs> Smallfoot should have been better. Uh, yeah. Smallfoot is uh, the, the 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 joke being. You know what? The abominable snowmen, their species, they're afraid of people like, they're afraid of humans. So when they see small footprints, they freak out. It means yeah. a human's nearby. Yeah. Um, you know what, folks? We already had that movie. It was called Monsters, Inc., where the monsters are afraid of children. It's the same concept, executed way better. Not that funny here. Um, the animation's good. It's just, you know, it's not that charming of a movie, to be honest. Um, but I mean, I you know, kids may like it. I can't really recommend it. I can I can recommend Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, that I can recommend, but I can't really recommend Smallfoot. Uh, it includes a Yeti set, go sing along, and uh, comes with a movies anywhere code. We've also got Perry Como's old with an E English Christmas with Petula Clark and Leo Sayer. This is a great vintage TV show. I love Petula Clark. Love Leo Singer. You know, Leo Sayer is like going to turn 60 yeah. or 70 or something this yeah. next year. Yeah. How awesome is that? Love oh, Leo boys. Sayer. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, the Littlest Reindeer, is terrible. I had to cover this on the radio. This is just, uh, I'm sorry, the woman who directed this, it's her first film. I hate to rip yeah. on it, but it's just dumb. It's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, except instead of a red-nosed reindeer, you have a miniature horse that thinks it's a reindeer and doesn't have a red nose. And it's feature length, not a half an hour or an hour. So it's not really entertaining, and uh, I don't really understand the point. It has like some commentary. It just it goes in a really awkward place. It's not very good animation. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two. Uh, didn't really need a sequel. Uh, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night's the is all you needed. But uh, Scream Factory Division of Shout Factory, they've released this, and I guess fans of the original, you get more of it. Uh, it's kind of trying to take Silent Night, Deadly Night into a Halloween direction. Yeah, I don't think it needs to go there. But, you know, there are tons of special uh, features on here, loads of extras and commentaries and, uh, you know, interviews. It's just loaded up. So somebody clearly loves this. Another Christmas horror film is Christmas Blood, uh, which is also from Artsploitation. This is out on DVD only. comes out on the 18th this next week, right before Christmas. Hopefully some of you uh, will be able to catch it because it's actually kind of a hoot. Their tagline is... Naughty or nice, you're dead. Yep. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, and uh, this actually is a uh, this is a Norwegian film, and it's uh, leave it to the Norwegians to go twist it. Takes place in a little tiny town where a Santa a Santa Claus lunatic is uh, going crazy and and taking it taking it out on people. Uh, it really doesn't have. There's nothing else to it. It's like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Black Christmas, and all the other horror films about you know evil Santa Clauses. But because it's a Norwegian film, it's kind of fun. Mm. So it's a nice twist. Nice, nice twist indeed. Now, what are we calling these? Catalog. Yeah, yeah catalog titles. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything, anything to make me feel better about that? Uh, yeah, I just literally did the junket for most of these movies anyway. A whole lot of them uh, back in the day, and, and wrote pieces for. I guess it would have been Entertainment Today back in '92 when a couple of these came out. So. We have single white female Bridget Fonda, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, most people forget that this movie was directed by Barbara Schroeder. Uh huh. So you know, no, 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 no hack at no hack at work here uh, at all. Barfly, you know, back in the eighties and all of that. And, and it's a creepy movie. It's, it's a very creepy movie, although it is a genre film. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, by today's standards, anyway. Jennifer Jason Lee, Bridget Fonda, uh, both doing fantastic work. Both just young and and beautiful, and at the height of their sort of starlit allure. Uh, in Hollywood um, at, at that particular time. Uh, a, a woman advertises a uh, single white female looking for a roommate. She gets uh, the same. And then that single white female, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, decides she literally wants to be. Uh, okay. You know, that person, uh, and that's what happens there. Um, uh, a lot of folks in this movie that I had forgotten about, Stephen Weber and uh, in, 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 uh, in single yeah, white right? female. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's neat. Don Roos, a Don Roos screenplay. Yeah, single yeah. Single white female. Uh, you know, Stephen Tobolowsky, a lot of folks. Anyway, uh, this has interviews with the director, uh, the actors, uh, Stephen Weber included, and the screenwriter, audio commentary with Barbie Schroeder. Uh, and the editor of the film. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah, kind of a throwback, but a, but a really fantastic one. And it still stands up. Saw it actually cut for television not long ago, which takes a lot of the oomph out of it. So if you want to watch it, that's the way to watch it on the actual DVD. Yeah. Candyman, same thing. Did the junket for the Candyman. I had met, I had met Tony They're Todd. They're remaking it. They're remaking it, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 I had met Tony Todd. Tony Todd was in a remake then. Yeah. Of Night of the Living Dead, mm -hmm. right? So like that year, the year before they had, uh, yep. he got the part of, 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 the, of the brother, Night of the Living Dead. It was really, really great. Then he got the part of Candyman in this show, which is an adaptation, of course, of a Clive Barker book. Clive, you, you know, there was a time when Clive, all his crap was getting made. Into, I know. You know yeah, I never understood Look, any of it. When you have your moment, work it, baby. Yeah. Exploit that window because yeah, yeah, it may yeah. not come back. Yeah, man. Um, interesting transition in Clive Barker. Do yourself a favor, folks. Uh, go to YouTube, look up Clive Barker interview. Oh, I don't know any Clive Barker interview from the 70s or the early 80s. Then look up a Clive Barker interview from uh, the last five years and see if you can figure out if that's the same human being. Uh, nevertheless, this is, uh, this is really, really neat. Uh, Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. I look in the mirror and do it all the time. Nevertheless, uh, a lot of folks won't. Uh, disc one is the theatrical cut. Disc two is the unrated cut. All of them have all kinds of stuff. It's a 4K scan. Uh, uh, you know, Bernard Rose directed this film. It's a good movie. Check it out. Candyman. We got some uh, Warner Archive stuff here. Uh, a lot of really fun stuff. Some unpredictable stuff. Some uh, unexpected stuff. One of them, and I'm going to go through the DVDs first. These are all DVD-Rs, Manufacture on Demand, uh, MOD. The first is Wallflower with Robert Hutton, Joyce Reynolds, and Janice Page. This is, uh, this is a movie from 1948. Feels more like a 1950s-era movie, though. It really is kind of getting into the vibe of the 50s. It's about young romance, and it just feels very, very post-war in a more advanced way than you would normally. This was mm. the first national release of the time, now in the Warner Brothers archives. 
And um, it was written by Phoebe and Henry Efren. Oh, really? Yeah, right? Amazing. The previous generation uh, of, of Efrens, uh, before we, we get to uh, Nora, who is our, our whole thing. And you can feel the Nora Efren genes working here. <laughs> I swear to you, it runs the family. Uh, basically, uh, Paige and Reynolds... Uh, are stepsisters who uh, wind up having a rivalry over the boys, and mm. you know, especially one in particular, and they yada yada. You know, you you fill it in. It's a sweet romantic comedy. Robert Hutton is is really great. Uh, Joyce Reynolds and Janice Page are also really really good. It's just a lot of fun, but uh, that was really enjoyable. Um, the last ride is quite a ride as well. Really directed by a very underrated director named D. Ross Letterman. And uh, this is, uh, it, it's kind of a, it's sort of a lighter noir, and I don't want to make that sound like it's light. It just doesn't sort of hit a lot of the beats that noirs typically hit. It's more of a, just a standard crime film. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's good. It's kind of, you know, got a, got a, got a real style to it. And uh, Letterman really has a, has a knack for this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just too bad that, you know, not, no real stars in it, but it's a, it's a good kind of hard-boiled Warner Brothers uh, crime film from the period. Um, Her Kind of Man, this is also one of those really, really cool uh, romantic comedies from the period. This one was from 1946, just a little bit earlier than uh, Wallflower, and stars Dane Clark, Janice Page, and Zachary Scott, two mm. guys and a woman. Uh, and it's, uh, this is similarly fun. This is, uh, you know, it's, it's got a lot of great lines, a lot of, a lot of good chemistry, and uh, it's very, very nicely staged and uh, has a great score by Franz Waxman. Uh, very, very smart script by Gordon Kahn and Leopold Atlas. Uh, definitely worth checking out. The uh, director, we should point out, Freddie de Cordova, oh, who directed yeah. every single show yep, of, Johnny. G- of Johnny Carson yeah. on The Tonight Show that yeah. there ever was. Yeah. So it's it's fun to, to kind of go back and discover what he was doing before he was a TV director. It's fascinating. Uh, yeah, isn't it? And uh, one of my father's all-time favorites, Zezu Pitts, co-stars in uh, Passion Flower, which is an early talkie from 1930, which is kind of when Zezu Pitts's career was really flowering, and then it kind of disappeared after that. So she was a Passion Flower for just a minute, and then she wilted. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's actually quite good. Kay Francis, Charles Bickford, Kay Johnson, Louis Stone, all people who were really quite prominent in the early sound period. And uh, it's a it's a bit of a melodrama, but it's worth watching just because these are these people didn't really have careers that lasted too much further on. So uh, definitely check it out. It's uh, you know it's it's a little soapy, a little schmaltzy, but it's good. The Blu-rays from Warner Archive are to die for. Let's go through them. First of all, Lucy, Lucille Ball, the yeah. great wonderful Lucille Ball, directed by Gene Sachs in Mame. Now, she was not necessarily everybody's ideal mame at the time. This was made in 1974 when, these, uh, when the big Broadway musicals were kind of on their way out. Yeah. Two years after uh, Fiddler on the Roof was kind of sort of uh, the last big one. But, my gosh, what a, what a fun movie. I mean, Lucille Ball was still in her prime. The hair is great. She's great. Big personality. It's still a fun movie. Gene Sachs, really good director. And uh, Anna White's uh, musical numbers are just spectacular. The dancing is just a whole lot of fun. So, yes, it's a big, bloated, overlong Broadway musical, but I still love it. Brewster McLeod, 
uh, one of the more underrated Robert Altman movies. It's also out on Blu-ray with a terrific cast. Uh, it, you know, this is it really kind of one of those minor Altman movies, but no Altman movie is minor in the big picture. So uh, this is definitely worth checking out, produced by my semi-neighbor Lou Adler mm-hmm. of the Monterey Pop Festival fame. Who, who Monterey Pop just got accepted to the uh, Library of Congress, uh, oh. the 30 films. That's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. Th- th- that and, and deservedly so. Yeah. And deservedly so. So very much so. Uh, the Satanic Rites of Dracula uh, is also out on Blu-ray, a Hammer film, which is kind of weird that that's in the Warner archive. I don't know how that wound up there. The, the Hammer films are sort of all over the place. But, uh, you know, Christopher Lee, always a good Dracula. That's there. And then uh, Tarzan's Greatest Adventure. It's not really his greatest adventure. There are greater adventures. But uh, John Gillerman, who, of course, did King Kong and a lot of other great movies, yeah, Towering yeah. Inferno, uh, directed this one. That's uh, also from the uh, the uh, was this 1970s or is this 60s? Late 60s. This is uh, oh wow 50s 1959. Yeah. It's an early Gillerman. Anyway, Gordon Scott is uh, is Tarzan here. He's not one of the better Tarzans, but if you're a Tarzan completist, you'll love it. And then uh, Dracula A.D. 1972, which is again Christopher Lee playing Dracula. Not a very good film, but it's got a cult following, and this is also a Hammer film. Indeed, 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 indeed. Uh, a couple, a couple left over from that, you know, that uh, archive, as you would say. Uh, Critters, Critters. Uh, the original Critters film was 1986. Uh, the second one was about 88. By the time you get to the third one, I'm I'm, I'm covering Critters <laughs> films here here in Los Angeles. You had to cover all these. Oh yeah. I am so sorry. Oh yeah, I absolutely. Did. <laughs> Ste- I'm look, so Stephen sorry. Herrick. Stephen Herrick directed that first. Uh, Curtis Did movie. he really? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, uh, Stephen Herrick, no. uh, yeah, Mr. Holland's Opus, and Bill and Ted's Excellent oh Adventure, and the, yeah, eventually one of those Three Musketeers movies. So it's interesting, though, how directors. I mean, this is thirty years ago, creeping up on, um, moved around then. You know, uh, yeah. you, you you still had um, the opportunities. To, guys like Stephen Summers was another guy who would direct all those uh, big mummy movies yeah. and and move on. You yeah. you, uh, even even. Um, uh, even Ted Raimi, you know, would would, That's would right. you know, direct a simple plan yeah. after directing all those Evil Dead movies yeah. that we were yeah. talking about before. Anyway, these movies were a lot of fun uh, back in the day. I, I suppose they've been replaced by the I don't know Shark, NATO type movies or yeah. whatever of of uh, sure. television and what now. Uh, but anyway, this was about uh, you know aliens uh, who land on Earth outside of a small farm town and start eating people. Uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. And again, all kinds of folks in these movies that one that one forgets about. Over the course of the years, so in the Critters movies, depending on which one you're talking about, you get you get you get D. Wallace, you get uh, M. Emmett Walsh, uh, you get uh, Billy Zane, uh, you get Lynn Shay, who's in a lot of those Conjuring movies uh, uh, today, the 35 years ago. So you know, um, if you're into it, check it out. All kinds of stuff in terms of special features on these new 2K scans of the uh, Critters uh, movies. Um, there is a movie, there was a movie that came out in 1998 called Can't Hardly Wait. I remember this. Yeah, it was yeah. one of those movies that used to be made back then, uh, around the same time as the American Pie movies, and, 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 and two or three of these young people running, roaming around, doing this, that, and the other thing. All of these sort of young people went on to have careers, including the lovely Jennifer Love Hewitt, of course. Uh, this movie was directed by uh, Deborah Captain and Harry Elfont, who were this sort of like writing, uh, directing couple uh, yep. from back in the day, which was another thing that used to exist in the back of the day. Yeah, it existed way back in the day in the 30s and 40s and all the way through the 50s. But it kind of went away. And, but there was this moment in the late 80s and early 90s, middle 90s, when you would have this, these, these, these little couples doing this. Uh, who would be uh, Charles Shire and Nancy 
Oh, uh, Nancy Myers. Nancy Myers. We're one of them. The the um uh the, those Goldie Hawn movies, uh, Private Benjamin, and all of that. Yeah, well, this was one of those couples, and they did this movie. They did uh they did the, they did the Josie and the Pussycats movie. Uh-huh. That you and I love I that love that, fa- movie. That, that movie and that soundtrack. I still listen to that punk soundtrack. So great. Uh, to to uh, this day, you this haven't was... seen Anna and the Apocalypse, have you? No. Oh, it's uh, that's similarly great. Is it the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah similarly great. No, these movies still work, man. Uh, they're they're funny uh, and and sort of familiar. This is the uh, 1998 uh, film. Bonus features including it includes commentary tracks from the cast and the filmmakers and all kinds of deleted scenes and stuff like that. Can't hardly wor- wait twenty year. Reunion edition. So we got some stuff from Shout Factory and uh, their Scream Factory division. And the first one is, uh, oh, look, a Dracula movie with Christopher Lee. Um, Like I said, these things just fall all over everywhere. (laughs) So uh, this one's directed by Terrence Fisher. Uh, This one is also a Hammer film. I wish they could get them all together under one library. I really do. Uh, But this is the original Dracula Prince of Darkness. And uh, it is out on Blu-ray from uh, the Scream Factory line. Includes an audio commentary with uh, Troy Howarth and an audio commentary with Christopher Lee and uh, a whole bunch of other members of the cast that was recorded, obviously, a long time ago. This is a Blu-ray taken from a 4K scan. It's got other things, a little documentary and some, uh, you know, featurette on here. It's all fine. You know, it is what it is. It's Christopher Lee playing Dracula in sparkling hammer colors, and it's uh, it's gory and ghoulish and kind of weird. My, my second favorite Dracula is Christopher. For, first is, is Frank, Frank, Frank Langella yeah. in that 1979 uh, have you re- have you revisited uh, Gary Oldman in the Coppola film? Oh yeah, actually, I like that. He's 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 he comes you know in third. What? If it weren't for Keanu and Winona, that's a great movie. I can work through Winona. Keanu, I still have trouble with. It's just it that just really hurt the film. Anyway. But he is but he is solid. He is solid in that movie. It's he's solid. Um, the uh, My Little Pony comes up with a 35th anniversary edition. The uh, the My Little Pony movie and My Little Pony the movie. Don't get them confused. They're different. I don't know why. I don't know how. They're, they, the animation is different. Otherwise, I don't, I don't really understand, you know, My Little Pony. The My Little Pony movie and My Little Pony the movie. Couldn't you come up with a different title? Um, anyway, both of them out on Blu-ray together for the first time. And uh, it's my look, I'm not a brony. Yeah. I, so yeah. I don't, I yeah. don't get yeah. it, but yeah. it is yeah. what it is. Uh, we also I have find Steve, out all extremely disturbing. Very disturbing. For, uh, Steve Martin in the 40th anniversary edition of The Jerk, new 2K transfer on Blu-ray. Uh, not one of my favorite films. Now it's part of the Shout Select line. It is their 54th it, title. It has some moments that kill me. It has some moments. Some ideas. It's, you know. it's it's still dated. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's. I, I don't know if you can get away with the child of a poor black family. No, I was born. Yeah. Can, no. Can, can you get away with that joke today? Uh, you know what? Steve Martin can probably still get away. with I don't know. Kevin Hart had to leave. The <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about that. Yeah, so you know. Um, but uh, anyway, there is a conversation on here with Steve Martin and Carl Reiner, who of course directed it, and that you know eases over any concerns most people might have about some of the uh, the, the the context of the humor. Um, also, a conversation with the co-writers, and uh, there it is. Um, we also have from Shout, Starman, one of my oh, all-time yes. favorite John Carpenter movies. Yes, yes, yes. Terrific yes. Blu-ray release. I'm so happy this is out. You've got to own this. Well, it's, what's wonderful about that movie is it, to, to, ex- to the extent that it is a science fiction film or a sci-fi film, yeah. in any case, it's just a love story. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and John Carpenter knew that the love story uh, it was, is way more important than all the sciencey crap. He also figured out... That because he was arriving on the heels of E.T. Mm-hmm. 
and no one's going to want to, you know, you, you don't want to be compared to E.T. He realized E.T. didn't really have a love story. E.T. was a friendship yep. movie, yep. and that's another reason. And Karen Allen is great. Jeff Bridges is great. I quote this movie all the time. Uh, little bit jumpy. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, green light, go. Uh, red, uh, yellow light go very fast, right? <laughs> All that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a wonder. And it was uh, Oscar nominated that yeah, performance. Yeah. It's great. So we love Starman. Comes with an, uh, new interviews with John Carpenter, Jeff Bridges, and the script supervisor, uh, Sandy King Carpenter. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a great movie. You got to have this. You got to have Starman. And then lastly, there are three steel books, which would make great gifts if you can still get them in time. Uh, Streets of Fire. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and Dances with Wolves oh, are all yeah. out in limited steelbook packaging. They would make great gifts for anyone who loves these movies. Um, we've talked about Streets of Fire before. We've talked spe specifically about Lone this one. Uh, this has the feature-length documentary on it, Shotguns and Six Strings, uh, the making of a rock and roll fable, as well as the feature-length documentary Rumble on the Lot, Walter Hill Streets of Fire Revisited. This is a great, great, great set. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. We talked about uh, Bill and Ted's uh, Great Adventure earlier. Big Adventure. Uh, Peter Hewitt directed the uh, this, the follow-up, which is fine. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know also written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, who wrote the original, so it's got a certain continuity of humor. Sort of unnecessary. George Carlin is cute. Um, you know, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves do their thing. This has a whole bunch of extras on it, including uh, interviews and, and uh, documentary material and audio commentaries. But the golden one here is Dances with Wolves. Uh, three discs. Theatrical cut on the first one, the extended four-hour cut on the second disc, and then all the bonus features, featurettes and music video and TV trailers and commercials and all this stuff on the, on the third disc. Um, I cannot recommend Dances with Wolves in this set more uh, strongly enough because the, the, the Oscar-winning cut is three hours long. Mm. The extended cut is four hours, and I think I've talked on this show before. I saw the extended four-hour cut once in Paris. I went to the largest theater in Paris, the Grand Rex, which seats like four or 5,000 people on multiple balconies. It's an enormous movie theater. It's very old. It goes back to the 30s or 40s or something outrageous. And um, it, when I was there one year, can't even, I, it must have been the early 90s, 92, 93, um, they had dances, of, uh, dances with wolves. It was about a year, maybe two years. It was probably 93, mm. maybe 94. But anyway, it was a year or two after it had won uh, Best Picture in 1990. And um, they, this was their original four-hour cut that they would never be able to get released theatrically. But they got it for about a week or a two-week uh, exclusive run in Paris at the Grand Rex. And I'll tell you, with an intermission, no less. And uh, it's one of the greatest films I've ever seen. It's a masterpiece. It's better than the three-hour cut because it goes, it, you know, the three-hour film is all about how he makes nice with the Indians. Mm. The four-hour cut is about how they tolerate each other, and there's a bridge, he even says in the narration, that they cannot cross, and they will always still be separate people, no mm. matter how close they get. Yeah. It's an amazing, different-themed movie entirely. It has, it, has, it has something more to do with the theme of a film that we both liked a couple of years ago, maybe last year, Hostels. Yes, um, uh, it's a it's a much much more cynical movie at four hours than it is than at three it is hours. at three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah where it's it a better film. Hours. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, let's see from nineteen from nineteen eighty eight, Bright Lights, Big City. Uh, when when Michael J. Fox was making that transition from Alex P. Keating on television into sort of significant 
uh, movie star, although he had been in those Robert Zemeckis films, so he, had, he was still sort of playing that comic guy. And then comes Bright Lights, Big City, adaptation of a Jay McInerney novel, which was a, you know, kind, of, kind of a dark uh, look at uh, the underpinnings of the uh, New York literary scene uh, of the day, uh, I, you know, people who aren't old enough to sort of remember that whole scene. There was, you know, it was yeah. the, the coke thing was happening, and yep. uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's 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 interesting. It was an interesting book, and Jay McInerney, who of course was a young uh, literary guy. The book is more or less about him, sort of yeah. like semi autobiographical. Uh, there, you know, I remember this is James Bridges, yeah, uh, who of course you know, we we think of more in terms of. Uh, uh, broadcast news, right? You know, whether a lighter sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I haven't seen this movie in a really, really long time. I remember liking it quite a lot way back in 1988. I wonder if it still stands up to me. Produced by Cindy, by the late Sidney Pollock, of course. Yes. Uh, uh, so I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Kiefer Sutherland, Phoebe Cates, Diane Weist, all kinds of namey people. Does it hold I, up? Or I, did you it know, hold up? I I didn't like it a whole lot at the time. I didn't dislike it. Um, it's just one, but but I I guess there's a certain nostalgia associated with it because it is one. It, it's a movie of its era, and you look back on it and you think, wow, that was a really interesting performance. Well, it was Michael a time capsule, yeah. You know, for for him to be, he, he was trying to make that move. Yeah, and um, and he did, and he didn't make it. No, and perhaps that's if he had made it, this wouldn't be as interesting. Because then there were three basically. Um, uh, there was uh, Casualties of War. His, yes, his his Brian De Palma Vietnam film yeah. with yeah. Sean Penn. Which also didn't. What was the one that play. he did? What was the one with uh, with, with uh, Joan Jett? Yeah, Joan Jett. Uh, 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 night where, where, where he has the mullet. Where he has the mullet. Yeah, <laughs> the, rock, the, the rock band film with Joan yeah. Jett. The night, night, night. Uh, yeah. Break of day or something like yeah. that. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, those were the three. I'm a serious actor films yeah. for Michael J. Fox, and yeah. none of them panned out. Uh, yeah. Two, 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 three years later, he's back on Spin. He's on Spin City, back doing what he does. You know, yeah. and, and has a career. But it's interesting to sort of see that. Uh, he both he and Tom Selleck did not quite make the jump. True. Now it's ordinary. Now yep. it's completely ordinary. Bright Lights, Big City. Uh, oh, by the way, special features in, uh, in, in include uh, some commentary stuff uh, and um, a special 2K scan. So not bad. Head on over to FlickerAlley.com if you love classic movies. Uh, we love Flickr Alley. They have their own streaming service as well. Uh, a whole bunch of really great stuff that, uh, that they have out this week uh, for the holidays. Abel Gans's J'accuse in a Blu-ray manufacture-on-demand edition. Absolutely sensational. This is from 1919. Uh, if you're not familiar, Abel Gans, obviously, who did Napoleon, um, made this amazing movie in 1919 that is all about a, uh, a very famous moment in World War I event uh, that is... Um, you know, kind of, it's been it's been done many, many, many times before in uh, in French films. The story's been told over and over. Jacques is an incredibly famous story, mm. but as a silent film, uh, especially with this beautifully restored and tinted version, and and uh, is that the Abel Gans? Yes, That's yes, Gans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just it's really absolutely beautiful. Uh, we also have a couple of Rudolph Valentino uh, releases: the Rudolph Valentino Collection One and Two. One of the most beautiful faces ever to grace the movies. And uh, a whole lot of really cool stuff in here. Eyes of Youth, Moran of the Lady Letty, Stolen Moments, Virtuous Sinners. Um, you know, mostly shorts and kind of longish features. Nothing really o much over an hour here. But they're, uh, they all really give you an amazing sense of just what a, what a talent he was. What an incredible face and an incredible talent. And, you know, his estate. 
bulldozer bulldozed over. Oh, really? To make way for the Hollywood Freeway. Oh. Well. So when you drive down the Hollywood Freeway, somewhere right underneath, there. you're driving over Rudolph Valentino's old estate. Yeah. And then also a couple of uh, Mary Pickford classics from 1915 and 1925, uh, Fanchon the Cricket and Little Annie Rooney. Uh, Mary Pickford was the biggest star in the world at this time for good reason. She represented an every woman. She represented something that just touched the hearts of everybody. And uh, there was no one bigger. She could pretty, I mean, she was a woman and she was the biggest star in the world at a time when women, um, for the most part, couldn't even vote. Yeah. Kind of an amazing thing. Anyway, Little Annie Rooney and Fanchon the Cricket, uh, definitely worth checking out. The uh, Fanchon the Cricket is kind of interesting because it was written by George Sand, who, of course, is the uh, the famous novelist yeah. woman, despite yeah. the name George, George but she yeah. dressed like a man, she rode horses, and she had a fantastic romance with, uh, with Chopin, the composer. And Little Annie Rooney is basically a Depression-era kind of, you know, she's an urchin, she's a tomboy, and it, she just captures the fancy of the world. Both of them are really, really good. Uh, all of that is great. Flickerally.com is where you go to find those. Yeah. Uh, fantastic, fantastic. Maniac, a William Lustig film. William Lustig is known more as a producer than a... Uh, than a director, but he directed a yeah. few films. You yeah. know, uh, most of them crazy ass <laughs> movies, <laughs> horror, like horror movies, horror movies, uh, I, which I don't. I'm not sure you could actually get away with anymore. This is a 1980 film. Basically, it's a serial killer who goes around scalping women. Uh, well, that's a that's a yeah, novel take. That's a thing. The the, the box is not actually, killing them. Not kill, scalping. Okay. Uh, 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 the, the guy's standing there on the well, box. That's genteel of him. And, oh yeah, you know, very nice. And this is a 4K restoration. I don't even wonder <laughs> the hell this looks like on, on a television screen there. But it's an interesting sort of thing. Uh, you know, these sort of the themes of these movies uh, that they had not all that long ago. 1980 is 1980, but you know. Uh, can you get away with just this uh, without some sort of social commentary, which don't always exist in these films? Sometimes they do. I spit on your grave. I spit on your grave has all sorts of social commentary in it. But this this movie really didn't. This is just what this guy did because he was pissed. It's nevertheless full of all kinds of special features here uh, for fans uh, of um, of these movies. Joe Spinell, of course, uh, was the guy that played this 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 maniac, and um, he, that's generally speaking what he played just about all the time. Three disc limited edition, four K scan, maniac, not maniac cop, which which are also William Lustig <laughs> films, by the way. <laughs> but make this is either he liked the, he liked that word uh, for some reason. Uh, Lucio. Fulici's a zombie. Thank uh, you very much. I mean, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> this movie came out in 1979, the year I graduated from high school. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and 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 I thought about going to see it, and I was like, you know what? I, I was already over. I was already over the Italian horror stuff. I just that didn't last very long uh, with me. Giallo and all that kind of stuff. Nevertheless, uh, this is a zombie film. The one interesting thing about this zombie film is that the zombies aren't real. What's actually creating the zombies is a disease, a virus. So we have these zombies that show up on the ship, and these people travel to this island uh, looking for you know, a, a family, this guy and a father, and all this kind of stuff. And they're these zombies. But it turns out that the zombies are really just these people who are infected with a disease. Mm -hmm. And this doctor's running. So, you know, so I thought that was kind of interesting. You know? yeah. so they're not just, you know. It's a twist. It's a twist about the whole damn thing. Uh, Age of Con This is a double feature, Blu-ray, that uh, features Age of Consent, of the Michael Powell film. Uh, from when when was this? Uh, oh, Age of Consent. That's yeah, got to uh, be. That's, that's going to be 1969. I was going to say s mid 60s. Yeah, uh, and later. it's interesting because it's, it's a James Mason. Yeah. 
And uh, he's this painter, and he's sort of lost his passion, and, he, and, and he's going to try try one more. He goes off to this place, and he gets this, this young muse, this beautiful uh, young yeah. muse. And the beautiful young muse is Helen Mirren. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to complain. Oh, dude. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> uh, first of all. I love her from this period. Oh, from this period, John, the John Borman film. Yeah, uh, Excalibur. All, and, 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 and 60s right into the 80s. Into the 80s. And you have to remember. I love her and, now. And this is going to be, a, exactly, this is going to be a little uh, lascivious on my part. But this was the period, because we were, in, in fact, in that sort of, you know, that, that whatever, free love, pop British mm-hmm. period. And naked was not a problem. Yeah. So you had these actors and actresses who would do these movies with all kinds of naked. And it was just fantastic for a 16, 17, 12, 13, 14-year-old at the time. You, you know? know, I met Helen Mirren when she was 60, when mm-hmm. she did The Queen. Yeah. And she was at our, uh, our, our uh, dinner. And I, I just I shook her hand, and, j- and she looked at me, the 60-year-old woman, and I thought, you know, if I weren't married, you weren't with <laughs> Taylor Hackford. Yeah. Because she's still got a body she's on her. She's just beautiful. She's just a wonderful <gasps> woman. This she's was a Michael Powell. This was a Michael Powell film too, by the way. And the other movie on there, uh, Cactus Flower, for which Goldie Hawn won the Oscar. But and 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 again, uh, Gene Sachs directed. Uh, yeah, a sort of interesting film. Uh, yeah, Walter Matthau, this older guy, these these young women. I, I, I again, I'm not sure that you can get away with some of these themes today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I watch these movies, and I don't find them particularly pr- particularly offensive. Sometimes I find them sort of sophisticated yeah. in the way that they are addressing the actual sort of social dynamic uh, that that uh, that are going on yeah. with the people of the day. He has a new wife and this young woman and all this kind of stuff, and what does it mean? And this is what I do like about these uh, both of these films. The young women in these films, Goldie Hawn's character and, and Helen Mirren's character, despite the fact that yep. they are these young women who are the object of sexual uh, um, uh, attraction to these older men, men they have agency. These women are the ones who are winning in these movies. They're, these men are in service True. of them. Yep. It's not the other way around. They're Great. not in service of the That's men. A good double feature. Uh, as a, if you, if you, so, I would really love to watch these movies with a couple of our feminist filmmaker, yeah. uh, film critic friends, yeah, and see if they see in these movies what the I same see. thing we see. Yeah, because That'd you be know, I, I see women. I see a, a Goldie Hawn in Cast, Cactus Flower. Yeah, he will do anything mm-hmm. for her. Absolutely anything. It's fantastic. What's smart is she knows it, mm-hmm. and and I'm like that means she wins. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, anyway, neat movies. So we're gonna do a thing now. Uh, we're gonna uh, segue from Criterion into Arrow, meaning Arrow Academy and mm. regular Arrow films. I'm gonna start with the Criterion <laughs> stuff, and we have a very important connective tissue here between the two, which we'll talk about a future show. So we're gonna start off with Criterion's Some Like It Hot mm. Blu-ray edition, long overdue. And the beauty of this is that this includes uh, not only uh, a conversation between Tony Curtis and our good friend Leonard Malton, who was reviewed on our our holiday show uh, from a few weeks ago. Leonard Malton is on this, but it also includes the original 1989 Laserdisc commentary featuring Howard Suber, Mm. my very good friend and professor from film school who I had lunch with a couple of months ago, and he was very, very happy to, uh, to do this. I want to see if I can uh, get him to, to talk to us for the show. That'd be great. In the future, because he has a whole bunch of audio commentaries that he did for all those original Criterion Laserdiscs, which uh, I guess they're slowly able to now start uh, sorting out some of the rights issues as they get the movies back, and um, they were able to put it on Some Like It Hot. you got to get this. Suber's commentary is so amazing. He was an amazing professor. He's just one of the most scholarly minds I've ever encountered. It's always such a joy to talk to him. And you can get a piece of that here with his audio commentary. It's really, really remarkable. Um, 
Look, it's some like it hot. What do you want me to tell you? It's one of the greatest movies of all time. It's fantastic. Tony Curtis and uh, Jack Lemmon and uh, Marilyn Monroe, Billy Wilder. It's all you need to know. Mm. Uh, and loads of special features. It's just, it's just to die for. Absolutely to die for. Also, a Blu-ray of Sisters, the Brian De Palma film, on Criterion now from 1973. Uh, Sisters, one of the more compelling Hitchcockian uh, things that De Palma did. Of course, there's a De Palma style to it. You know, it's Hitchcock filtered through De Palma. So even though it's Hitchcockian, it's also very much De Palma. And uh, uh, this is a creepy movie, and it goes to a very, very creepy place. But it's got great music from Bernard Herrmann, who also, of course, did Hitchcock's movies. And um, just a just it's just a great movie. Margot Kidder is just at her very, very best here. Uh, and Jennifer Salt isn't bad. She often gets overlooked. So a bunch of extras here, including an, in a new interview with Jennifer Salt and some uh, 2004 interviews with a lot of the participants, including De Palma, and a 1973 discussion with De Palma at the American Film Institute, which is great. There's also a really fun 1970 uh, guest spot with Margot Kidder on The Dick Cavett Show, which is always fun. Also from Criterion on Blu-ray is Eugen Palsy's A Dry White Season. This yeah. was a real surprise, and I'm glad they did it. You know, Eugen Palsy, really one of the most underrated filmmakers, um, the first black woman to become a significant world-class filmmaker, yeah. really broke two, two barriers at the same time. Uh, she is, of course, uh, you know, Caribbean and uh, has a very unique look at the world being from the Caribbean. Uh, sees America differently, sees South Africa in a very different way. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the more interesting anti-apartheid films uh, that's ever been made, just for that very reason. Donald Sutherland is uh, really, really extraordinary here as a, uh, as a uh, white school teacher in Johannesburg. And um, Winston uh, Natashona is just fantastic, who, is, who plays his gardener, who, is the, who bears the brunt of, of the events that, tra uh, that transpire in the film. This is a hard-hitting, really good, really underrated movie. And, uh, and, of course, this film was made while apartheid was still... Still, 1989. Yeah, 1989, yeah. 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 We so, forget yeah. That, the, 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 that communism fell more or less before apartheid oh, yeah, was yeah. dismantled. And Mandela was released, so yeah. it was a really interesting period. Uh, 40 Guns, great Samuel Fuller film with, uh, with Barbara Stanwyck. Look, it's just a hard-hitting Sam Fuller Western from 1957. Loads of extras here, uh, including a great audio interview with Sam Fuller at the London National Film Theater from 1969. Uh, this movie is just a whole lot of fun, and it's all because Sam Fuller doesn't pull his punches and because Barbara Stanwyck really knows how to just let it loose. I mean, this is just people at their very, very best. Some great supporting stuff here, like from Barry Sullivan, who's a terrific marshal, but uh, on balance, this is just this is just loads of fun. A couple of uh, foreign ones here from Criterion as well. A story from Chikamatsu, the Kenji Mizuguchi drama made in 1954. Kenji Mizuguchi, in my opinion, the, the first of the great Japanese filmmakers. Really great. I think he's still better than Kurosawa uh, on balance. Uh, this is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful movie. It is poetic. Uh, it is uh, it is it is gripping. It's based on uh, a, a, a kind of a legendary story from the 18th century. It took place in Japan um, the, about a, uh, a scroll maker's wife and his apprentice. And uh, there's a little bit of the postman rings twice mm. here going on, but it's all wrapped up in a in a very uniquely Japanese story that is just absolutely beautiful and it's so incredibly well shot. It's so incredibly well shot. It's just, it'll blow your mind. Um, and then there is Panique from Julien Duvivier, um, great French film from 1946. 
right after the war. Very interesting French movies that, uh, that emerged from that post-war period right before the new wave exploded. And uh, Julien Duvivier, of course, fled France to, for Hollywood and then went back. And this was his first film back in France after the war. And um, he's, he's kind of going back to his roots here. It's very poetic. It's very melodramatic. Um, and it's... Uh, it's a it's a bit of a it's a it's a you know it's a murder story. It's written based on a novel by Georges Simenon, so it has a it has kind of a noirish quality to it. But it's it's more than that. It's uh, it's it, it comments on the war and it comments on French collaboration. And it's a very very smart film and it's really uh, quite hard hitting. So Panique, P-A-N-I-Q-U-E, and then we get to Sawdust and Tinsel, which is one of Ingmar Bergman's most delightful movies. Now, there is the giant Bergman Blu-ray set, the big comprehensive mega set that uh, Criterion came out with, which I am still working my way through. Uh, Tim and I are going to do mm. more on that in the future. It's a huge chunk of stuff to get through. But they have also released an, a standalone Blu-ray of Sawdust and Tinsel, which is a really quite a wonderful kind of... Uh, it, I don't want to say it's lighthearted. Uh, but it's lighter than a lot of his things. It's you know it's it's uh, it's almost Fellini-esque. Takes place in a carnival, and uh, deals with a lot of really interesting allegorical issues that that sort of an analogize the carnival to humanity and to all of the things that uh, Bergman doesn't necessarily like and that he finds absurd. Great performances by some of his usual standbys, Harriet Anderson in particular, and uh, that is from 1953. And then we also have a Bergman film from Arrow. And now we make our transition to Arrow, The Serpent's Egg, uh, which is an unbelievably weird, unusual Bergman film with Liv Ullman and David Carradine. I know you're probably thinking, Ingmar Bergman directed David Carradine? <laughs> there's, a, there's one for, for Trivial Pursuit, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a, just a bizarre one. So this was in 1977. And the story of how this film came to be is really kind of wild. There's an audio commentary by David Carradine that gets into a lot of it, and then there's also a, a thing called Bergman's Egg, which is this new sort of uh, uh, thing from critic Barry Forshaw that you know explains a few other things too. But for the on, on balance, the story is that uh, Dino De Laurentiis um, hired Bergman to direct this, and it just wound up being this weird, strange, misbegotten thing. It's the only movie that Bergman ever made in the United States. Mm. It takes place in 1923 in Berlin. Again, circus and carnival stuff is at the center of this. Uh, David Carradine plays a circus performer who's now down and out and can't get his life up, and his life is just getting horrible and horrible and horrible. Liv Ullman is a, is a cabaret singer um, who's his sister-in-law, and uh, from there, it just becomes like this weird Vim Vendersy kind of thriller, yeah. and you can't help but feel that Bergman is just totally out of his uh, out of his depth with this. And it's just, uh, you know, it's it's very strange. It's it's been called Kafka esque. I think it's more Vim like a Vim Vendors thriller. But mm. anyway, there's this is worth checking out just for the the strangeness of it and the and and all that. Just, yeah, it's just weird. All righty. Uh, popping over here. The rest of the arrow, yes. Uh, it, which include this box, a set of uh, three very early, very early, including, I think, uh, the, the, the De Niro's first performance here. Yeah. Uh, of, of films, including Robert De Niro and Brian De Palma films. So these are three early films of both of, the, of, of, both of them, De Palma. And because oftentimes when we think about Robert De Niro, we immediately associate him with uh, Scorsese. Yep. As the sort of incipient, uh, uh, you know, sort of, sort of couplet there. But in fact, he was working with uh, De Palma first. So we have uh, from 1968, Greetings. Yeah. 
which is, you know, interesting, a little sort of episodic film uh, uh, that includes themes to do with Vietnam and, uh, and, uh, and, and sort of uh, free love, uh, sort of satirizes all of this stuff. And it sort of satirizes amateur filmmaking, which is interesting because this is incredibly amateurish filmmaking. Um, uh, that's it, it, actually happening here as they're sort of satirizing amateur filmmaking. Uh, young Robert De Niro uh, in, in, in the movie. And, you know, uh, Brian De Palma uh, doing his thing there. Um, faces and names that you would go on to see. Uh, a little bit later, Jack Crowley, Melvin Douglas, and uh, a few people like that in the movie. The, the second film from 1969, The Wedding Party, somewhat more known. Uh, a lot of people think this is Robert De Niro's first film, but it's mm -hmm. not. Yeah. Uh, uh, so again, yeah, a little bit better, a little bit better filmmaking going on here. It's about a wedding, obviously. Uh, a lot of interesting people in this film. Again, you're gonna get you're, you're gonna get your Jill Clayburgh. You're gonna get your Jennifer Salt uh, here. So you know, again, uh, the 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 the, uh, the the quality of the acting and everything gets a little bit better as we're moving along. And then, of course, you have the third film from the set from 1970. Hi, Mom. Uh, <laughs> now we're starting to see the De Niro that yeah. we're going to start to come to know. That's it. That this is the De Niro that Scorsese's going to get. It's true. He's That's a Vietnam, right. he's a returning Vietnam yes. vet and all that kind of stuff. So he's... It's a great point. It's a great, by the time he gets to yeah. Taxi Driver, uh, he's worked through some De Palma uh, yeah. and, and specifically this movie. So, so that guy in Taxi Driver... Yeah, uh, three uh, seeds for that guy yep. and uh, and high mom for sure. Anyway, it's a hell of a box set. Special, uh, all kinds of special content and additions and stuff like that. Brand new 2K transfers on, on all three of the films, so you get that. So for your early Robert De Niro films, uh, yeah, Arrow. And we got another Altman film from Arrow uh, is Gosford Park. This yeah. is a great movie. Yeah. Won an Academy Award, of course, for uh, Julian Fellow's screenplay, which helped him go on to do Downton Abbey, Abbey and, uh, yeah. which is very much an adaptation of this. Downton Abbey kind of shares a lot of DNA with Gosford Park, obviously the upstairs-downstairs stuff. Um, but this is great. Uh, 2001 film, kind of like Altman's last really great Oscar contender, I think this was. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not his last film, but but, but last but the, the last movie was really yeah, in yeah. the in the mix. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's a it's a murder mystery and takes place at a, a big British estate in the in the country. And Bob Balaban is the American movie producer. Oh God, so That's funny, fantastic. He's just such a great. It's like Altman wanted to use Balaban to just poke at every producer he'd ever worked with. Just yeah. like here, this is what I think of all you you bastards. Uh, there's a really really great new audio commentary on here with uh, Jeff Andrew and David Thompson. Of course, Thompson is you know the author of uh, Altman on Altman, one of the legendary film critics and film scholars of all time. David Thompson, I they're like I have like five books on the yeah. shelf by David Thompson. It's just you know it's it's a really really good commentary. A lot of new interviews and featurettes and other stuff. They they also include the original Robert Altman um, commentary. With, uh, with Stephen Altman and, and David Levy as producer. Um, and, uh, you know, this is just a great Blu-ray. It's a great movie. It's a great Blu-ray. It's a wonderful script, and there's no reason why you shouldn't own this. Mm. There you go, baby. Um, Last House on the Left, uh, Wes Craven's first film. Mm -hmm. Um, I interesting thing about this film, uh, you know, he directed this film. It's about, it about a teenage girl or her birthday to go into the rock concert to get kidnapped by these... Uh, sociopaths and uh, all kinds of <laughs> brutality happened. So the film got an X rating. Uh huh. Wes, wanting commercial success, went back and cut 10 minutes of, of stuff out of this movie to try to get it uh, down to an R, you know? Yeah. Uh, took it back. Uh, it still got an X rating. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Last House on the Left is one of those movies that sort of set the standard for that kind of business. This is a uh, three disc uh, limited edition with all kinds of stuff on it Blu ray. 
uh, uncut version of the film. Uh, uh, it's, it, there are lots of versions and, and cuts of the movie. Uh, I think that 10 minutes that Wes cut out uh, yeah. are, are back in one of these cuts. So uh, check it out for that. Um, Last House on the Left. Uh, Orgies of Edo is a, a rather unpleasant Japanese film, uh, oh, yeah. but yeah. but if you if you are a fan, I mean this comes from the Japanese New Wave period, uh, late 1960s. If you are a fan of uh, Teruo Ishii, who is uh, kind of a, a house director over at the uh, Toei Studios, then you will enjoy this. Now the this is an anthology film. My uh, Kaidan is my preference for an anthology film. It's, you know, a series yeah. of ghost stories. This is um, this is kind of an exploitation film in a way. This is uh, three different stories set during the um, Genroku era, and it, it's sort of a follow up to something that he did, uh, which is much more much more exploitation called Shogun's Joy of Torture, which I've never seen, by the way. But um, it, that was like a sexploitation film. This is, you know, all about how it's 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 like roughies in the American tradition, which is look how sick and twisted these people are. Yeah. Now I know you're enjoying this. Yeah. I know you're getting off on it, but while you're getting off on it, I'm gonna wag my finger at you and yeah. scold you mm. and naughty naughty naughty, uh, which is sort of the movie watching equivalent of bondage. Yeah. To be honest, uh, you know, I, I I've I, never gotten it. I've never gotten it, but a lot of people do. Yeah. They dig it. Yeah. So. Um, you know, uh, if if you like that kind of stuff, that's sort of what this is, and the stories themselves are very uh, unpleasant. But you know, they're stylish, and he's a good director for the most part. And uh, there it is, orgies of Edo, uh, which kind of leads us to the a similar kind of thing uh, over here. So we have uh, Wizard. Wizard of Gore, nineteen seventy. Yeah. You know, look, Herschel, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, uh, talk sh show host, and, and this magician who, who who hypnotizes people and then yeah. creates these sort of gory uh, yeah. acts of uh, stuff. <laughs> you know, you, know, uh, you got you got to be there for the stuff, but it's not my kind of thing. Nah, and favorite. nevertheless, uh, special edition includes all kinds of wonderful stuff on this high definition Blu-ray uh, presentation of Wizard of Gore from nineteen seventy. Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um. Uh. I, uh yeah. You know. Look. Cat. Uh, Cat. Uh, from. Um. From. Um. Uh, Dario. Cat. Yeah. Night Lives. Nineteen seventy one. Same kind of thing. Uh. Again. A newspaper reporter. Is trying to solve a series of of of, of killings connected to this uh, one particular company. I just. I, again. You just got to kind of be into the stuff. It does not work for me. Some of the photography here is sort of uh, uh, imaginative and interesting. Bonus features include deleted scenes and behind-the-scenes stuff and, uh, and you know interesting stuff from 1971. Uh, there's a period for this kind of stuff. From 1992, uh, a film again uh, that was probably a part of the other set that we were talking about, Al one, Alison Anders, uh, might be her debut film, or if not uh, her second film, Gas Food Lodging. Uh, Brooke so Adams. I so love this movie. Oh, and I, I so love, love this movie. She was just fantastic. Uh, uh, Brooke Adams, Ioni Sky, Feruza Balk uh, from back in the day in this movie, uh, young James Brolin and Robert Nepper. Uh, a lot of the stuff is just a walk down memory lane for me because, uh, again, I did the junket for this movie. And it's just such a neat movie. Uh, Gad, uh, a food, beautiful uh, photography in the, in the New Mexico desert. A single mother trying to raise her two teenage daughters. It's just a lovely, lovely movie. Check it out if you get a chance. Again, uh, this has all kinds of great stuff on it, this high-definition uh, Blu-ray transfer, uh, oversaw by Allison Anders herself. That's a career right there, Allison Anders. It should have been bigger. Should and, and still should be bigger. She's yeah. still in her prime. Yeah, people yeah. should be throwing work at her like nobody's business. You know, particularly in this uh, day and Absolutely. age. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of that.
That's all uh, I got over here, brother. What else we got? All right. So uh, just a few things here to wrap out. Uh, one, you know, some some good gift stuff here. My neighbor Totoro, the fantastic no. Hayao Miyazaki film. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki is our LAFCA recipient of the Career Achievement Award yes. this year. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the first anime filmmaker ever to receive the award, first Asian ever to receive that award, mm. and only the second animator after Chuck Jones ever to receive the award. Yeah. Uh, it's a real historic vote. I'm so happy that we did it. He's, he's been in the mix for our, 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 uh, our award for so many years. You know, It's not like he came out of the blue. He's out hey, of hey, hey, look, we came close to blowing it. That guy's retired two or three times. <laughs> and he is 90-something, 80-something odd years old. He's just, he's just absolutely genius. And uh, he, is the, he carries the torch for anime to this day. My Neighbor Totoro is an absolutely beautiful movie. This is the 30th anniversary edition from Studio Ghibli, uh, released from G-Kids. And they've done a tremendous set. This will not fit on your shelf. It's a total square. It is a square box. But, man, it's a wonderful set. And this has been released a number of times before. I think Disney released the last one when they had the contract for the Studio Ghibli stuff um, uh, on Blu-ray. But this is this is it. This is the definitive it includes the CD soundtrack, a 40-page booklet, uh, feature-length storyboards, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff on the creation of the film and the characters, and you know, it's just it's on the scoring of the film. I mean, it's an absolutely wonderful set. Uh, the DTS audio is is fantastic, fantastic as well. The the Joe Hisaishi uh, score is is wonderfully represented here, even on the on the CD as well. Um, it's just beautiful for the whole family. I'm going to show this to my daughter. She's going to go nuts. She's going to love my neighbor Totoro. That's a wonderful gift yeah. for somebody. Yeah. And uh, then we have a bunch of classical things. I just want to make quick mention of very briefly from, uh, you know, if you're looking for music gifts, we didn't have our um, Naxo stuff ready for the holiday show. But uh, there's a couple of great classical box sets here. Mozart's, the De Ponte operas, uh, which is uh, the Marriage of Figaro, Don Giovanni, and Cosi Fan Tutte, and a wonderful Blu-ray set from uh, Opus Arte, all of these staged for the Royal Opera House by the Royal Opera in London. Uh, just fantastic. Don Giovanni especially was directed by Casper Holton, who is, um, just does an, a, mag a magnificent job of it. And then we also have a uh, Rudolf Nureyev box set, which includes uh, Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake and uh, The Nutcracker and Ludwig Minkus's Don Quixote. Uh, this is from C Major and Unitel, and it is uh, three Blu-rays, beautiful, beautiful stuff, really nice transfers, uh, beautifully staged, uh, Nureyev, you know, is the choreographer for all of these. These are not Nureyev the star. These yeah. are Nureyev the choreographer. And uh, really just fantastic uh, work here uh, through and through. Beautifully, beautifully put together. Uh, if you're a ballet fan, you're, you'll go nuts for this. Also got a box set here. Uh, Shell Crow, uh, live at the Capitol Theater from 2017 on her Be Myself tour. This is three discs, Blu-ray and CD here. Sheryl Crow, still a great performer. A lot yeah. of great songs. Uh, if you know that's a good gift for somebody, and, uh, and that's a good gift for me. <laughs> I well, love, I love Cheryl Crow. There you go. Oh, Merry look Christmas, at that! Bro. Merry Christmas, brother. <laughs> you know, girls who play guitars are like a thing. I know. And then uh, Milestone Cinematech Collection has just released the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which is a, uh, a fantastic, legendary early animated classic from uh, Latte Reininger. Reiniger. Uh, this dates all the way back to um, the silent era and, uh, you know, 1926, and it includes 
a bunch of stuff from the early 1920s all the way into the 1930s and the 1950s, and finally 1974 is The Lost Son. Um, it is, uh, this is really kind of in many respects where a certain style of animation begins. It's very raw, but it's very touching, and it's poetic, and it's beautiful, and uh, you, you, won't, you won't be disappointed. The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. Uh, and that's it for this week. Uh, oh yeah, let's let's make a big quick mention. Well, of that. because People Kevin Smith, interesting, interesting. Yeah, Kevin Smith, nineteen ninety four. Kevin Smith hit the scenes with Clerks, of course. Um, I don't know that he was ushering in that particular uh, yeah. genre of movies, but certainly he was a he was a, he was a central figure uh, in these guys who were making movies for a buck ninety five. Him, Robert Rodriguez, yep. Yep. Uh, I don't know, a, a couple of few others, and there he was uh, in the scene, actually making it in Hollywood, and was particularly interesting, given that he was a guy not from uh, Hollywood, you know, sort of a uh, not a not a film school yep. kid, and all all that kind of stuff, Silent Bob, and all of that. Fine, Clerks never did like that movie no. personally. Uh, um, Chasing Amy is a movie that Kevin Smith made that I actually liked. It also has a performance from Ben Affleck that's pretty damn good. Yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, and 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 in and, and a context and the subject matter is interesting. Anyway, uh, Kevin Smith over the years, his filmmaking career up, down, sideways, whatever. With that, yeah. he nevertheless managed to keep himself a sort of pop culture figure. Yeah. You know, uh, and also you know, even inside Hollywood, he was known for rewriting. I like him better than I do as a person and better than a filmmaker. A lot more, a lot more fun guy. Yeah. His silly TV I said that the, podcast. That's the opposite of most people. Yeah, you know, he's a better guy. Yeah, I don't like you as a person, but I like you as a filmmaker. So, Kevin Smith? No, I don't no, want to see you. You're, 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 you're a good guy, but I'm not, but I'm not watching any more of those silly ass movies anymore, dude. <laughs> That's it. And solid by. So anyway, he becomes this comedian guy. He's doing these sort of stand up shows. He's you know fairly funny. All of that. He tapes one of the shows, goes backstage, and has a massive heart attack. Yep. In February, uh, February of this year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and almost dies. Since then, he's sort of metamorphosized himself. Kevin Smith, we will, of course, remember, was a gigantic person, yeah. like actually physically gigantic person. Mm-hmm. He's not anymore. Uh, the only thing I will say is that, Kevin, why didn't you lose the weight before you had the heart I attack, know. brother? Don't you know? Uh, the, yeah. the, whatever. You survived it all. You got it together. There you are. That's good. Uh, and his, his stand-up is kind of funny. He talks about his kids. He talks about being a geek and a nerd. And I will never forget the Clerks press conference at the Cannes Film Festival yeah. in 1992, my first year there. He had just made it. He had no. He, he was just green as could be. I was green as could be. And we're there in a French market grocery store on the second floor of a building because, you know, you got to go up the escalator yeah. to go shop. It's weird. It's Europe. And they had roped off one of the checkout stands, put him and his producing partner right there, Scott Mosier. Yeah. Right? They put them right there sitting behind the checkout thing and <laughs> roped off a place for the press and there we are we're there conducting a Q&A press conference in the middle of a grocery store while French people shop around the ropes around us yeah. it was surreal and weird yeah, it was very, so bizarre very literal they were they were clerks you see so let's talk for a moment before we end the show yeah. about the Oscars the hosting thing Kevin Smith ratings oddly enough I think you and I are 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 on Unexpectedly differing opinions of Kevin Hart. Well, I'm really upset that he stepped down. It, this, this, I'm, this upset that, I'm not upset that he stepped down because I think he did. He did a conscientious thing. I'm upset that the Academy asked him, told him to apologize. I'm always upset about that because it's so fraudulent. Because apologies are only meaningful. If, if they, they the are, heart. if they come from the heart. Now, what the academy? So, when we're not really on the on different sides of the thing, we're because uh, uh, that I don't like either, right? Yeah. What the academy should have done is vetted him better. Correct. So that's number one. Yes. Look at the jokes now, folks. If you're going to hire a comedian, look at that history of jokes. Now, once 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 that's done, though, let me tell you, there are very 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 few jokes that are going to put you on the outs with me. 
Yeah. You know, I, you know, I just, I just, I defend Michael Richards all the time. Yeah. I defend him all the time. They're called comedians for a reason. They're trying. They're yeah. reaching. They're trying to find that edge. Sometimes they go over it. That's fine. And, and I, let's I, let's the, be honest. Kevin yeah. Hart is not a bigot. Of course Kevin, not. Kevin Hart was was telling jokes that had certain gay slurs in them at a time when a lot of comics were doing the same thing. Yeah. When it was not considered necessarily and, taboo. Dude, I go. You and I go back to Andrew Dice Clay. Look, who had a whole, who did whole movies? I was I saw Clay once at the Comedy Store in Hollywood, and it was so relentlessly not funny and cruel and hateful and mean and profane. No one was laughing. He was attacking people in the audience. It was just sadism and, yeah. and it, on a level that I've never encountered. It was awful, and that's when he was trying to be hood, right? He was wearing the, a do rag and like fingerless gloves, and he was trying to go from <laughs> greaser to like hood yeah. rat or something. Which is funny because Andrew Dice Clay has always been a middle class Jewish kid. I know, and he's always been portraying. The, so, so, so it's not it's not about that. This is this is where you and I differ on Kevin Hart. Uh, so, was, Kevin should have gone back and looked at his what he said. I, I, or I wouldn't looked at what he said, and Kevin should have just simply said this. Forgetting about the Academy, and perhaps even saying, I, I, I ignore the Academy. I, yeah. I ignore, but I'm a person, and I can see the things that I said, and I can see how they would, have been, they would, be, would be hurtful. So, so, I'm, so I am going to apologize for and that. He ki- and he kind of eventually got Eventually that. he got there. But, but, I, but here's, the, here's where I come down on this. There are three great traditions, and I was going to blog about this, and I don't have the energy to do it. No, so I'm going to leave hard. it here at the yeah. end of the show. But there are three great traditions of comedy in the United States. Stand-up comedy begins here. Stand-up comedy begins here, notwithstanding how great Billy, people like Billy Connolly are and, mm. and you know, Danny Boone in mm. France and, and certainly like uh, Eddie Izzard. I mean, a lot of great stand-ups in other countries in their own languages for sure. But stand-up comedy begins in America. And it grows first out of vaudeville. That Borscht Belt. All of those funny All of those funny, yeah. The vaudevillians gave birth to the Catskillians, mm-hmm. right? The Catskillians took that baton. And you go from the Bob Hopes, who was a vaudevillian, you go to the Jerry Lewis's and the Alan King's and, and all those guys, who then eventually handed the baton for the Catskill comedy, that mm-hmm. very Jewish comedy, very, yeah, yeah. to Billy Crystal and to oh, even, Jerry yeah, Seinfeld yeah. and, you know, those guys. I mean, there's a real co- uh, continuum there, like the Red Skelton the vaudevillian, mm-hmm. right? So there, there's this continuum Danny there. Danny Kaye, yeah. But then there's also, and a lot of this cross-pollinates, then there is then there are the urban comics, oh, who yes. are primarily black. Uh, Dick Gregory. Uh, Dick Gregory. Mom's Mabley even before him. Yeah. You know, who eventually, Richard Pryor was Richard the one Pryor that sort of broke out. comes out of that, yeah. Um, but, uh, Eddie, uh, Martin Lawrence through the 80s, and, yep. And, and that's, uh, Godfrey Cambridge was sort of one of the one of the early, really, he was like the anti-Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when this starts cross-pollinating at a certain point. So you start having the the urban comics cross-pollinate over to George Carlin and Lenny, mm-hmm. right? And then you also have the Borscht Belt guys cross-pollinate to Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby is not an urban comic. No. Bill Cosby is in the tradition of, of the Borscht Belt guys. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, the observational Telling stuff. stories about family. But in all of this is, in, is, is one thing that is agreed upon. You have got to go out on a limb. And you've got to be willing to fall off. You've got to be willing to take risks and fail, and fail big. Woody Allen's first marriage broke up because he kept making fun of his wife in his routine. 
Ah. He went out there and he said, you will not believe my wife. My wife this, my wife that, my wife that. And she got, she was fed up. Yeah. She's like, I'm done with you. Yeah. I'm done. I'm sick of being the butt of your jokes. Yeah. You got to yeah. make fun of somebody yeah, and something. As opposed to to to, to Joan uh, Rivers, uh, yeah. and who's, who's uh, what was his name, Spike? Yeah. Was her husband. She she made fun yeah. of him for I don't know, 57 years yeah. or whatever. And so you're, you're 100% right. I suppose that now we have simply moved to a spot now. Because look, Red, Eddie Murphy's uh, delirious yeah. in that yeah. red in that red yeah. uh, leather suit. Yeah. Oh, nothing but gay slurs for Left twenty right. minutes in that. Chris Rock, who's hosted the Oscars twice, used to tell the, the the same kinds of jokes that Kevin Hart was getting pillaged for that he hasn't told for seven or eight years. Yeah. And, and and at the time that he was hosting the Oscars, we weren't that sensitive about those the gay community or whatever and hadn't risen up and said, "Now, no, 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 we're not doing this anymore, guys." See, and I think I think everybody. This is not about the gay community. This is about everybody saying, "You know what." We have to take ourselves a little lightly. We've got to be willing to, that when somebody makes fun of us, you got to roll. Here's what you do. You roll with those punches. You don't show hypersensitivity. You, you roll with the punches and you say, you know, fair enough. I mean, it was seven or eight years ago, um, but he hasn't done it for seven or eight years. He's, he's, he's okay by us. And, and we realize we're in a different place now. And Kevin Hart is the first person to say, look, you got to grow as a comic. you got to start somewhere. And I don't think he's going to apologize in a sincere way for where he was, because if it weren't for where he was, he wouldn't be where he is. This, this is what I would say. Uh, and again, the Academy demanding an apology, uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, 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 but 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 me human being hey, dude yeah. i'm 57 years old I've, yeah. I've, I've said and done all yeah. kind of stuff that you can't do anymore i didn't happen to be an important person but you grow through shows, your life you grow right? through your life so so if somebody were to come to me today and you and i we've been writing yeah. we have stuff in print that we have been writing for 28 yeah. almost 30 years now oh, i'm sure we have been writing about it. you know all this comes <laughs> simple it's simple for me if you hand me something that I wrote in 1992 and says, "Dude, this is a, this is kind of offensive to the I don't know the the, the, the Chinese community yeah. of, of of which you wrote this about," I'm going to look at that and say, "Is it?" And if it is, sorry about that. Yeah. In 1992, I, I wasn't a very sensitive guy about yeah. that kind of stuff. But you know, it's not, it's yeah. 2018. But I have no problem with looking at that and saying, "You're absolutely right. That was some totally sexist shit I wrote back in back back <laughs> back back, back, back uh, You know, forget about that guy. He's an idiot. I can promise you that guy isn't here right now. Yeah. But I have no trouble saying, uh, Tim, 1993. Tim, oh, Tim, 1975. You don't even want to know that boy. Yeah. Fourteen-year-old Tim. No, so, I you know, do. So you know, I well, know. you know, he was yeah. an asshole. But, <laughs> but it's I, okay. So I, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave it here. So uh, whoever hosts the Oscars this year, I wish them well. It's gonna be a tough gig. You're, yeah. you're gonna be stepping into a, a real landmine. Uh, you know, I think the show. I think Star is Born has already won Best Picture. I think that's written in stone right now. I don't yeah. see how that's. Have you seen the ad campaign? Their their awards campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Praising yeah. the actors, everybody in a big love fest, all the behind the scenes chat. It's genius. It's genius. It's yeah. just gonna warm everyone's hearts. The so, but whoever hosts the awards this year, you gotta you gotta put out a lot of fires, and you're you're stepping into a you're stepping into a real minefield. Um, but so I wish you well. But I really hope that Kevin Hart gets a shot at it again. I hope that when all this dies down, that he gets a crack at it again next year, the year after. He deserves to have that shot. He's the right guy for it. He has the right temperament, the right sense of humor. Um, he will make that evening so much fun. Uh, he could have he could have a multi multi show run at it. He this, really could. Th this is all that I will say to everyone with respect to all of these things on all sides: potential hosts, potential uh, hirers, the audiences, yeah. the communities that might be. This is it's very simple. 
uh, everyone just relax. Stop being defensive. Don't go. be defensive. You can call out something without being defensive about it. You yeah. can say, hey, man, you know that thing right there? there. And, then, and then on the other side, when you get called out, don't be defensive. Kevin's first response was to be defensive. I don't think because be. the Academy came yeah. after him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, don't be defensive. The, don't. Ac- the Academy is losing. Well, that's a whole conversation for another time. That's a, yeah, it's a whole thing. But All know, right. I just everyone to say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. There it is. No, let's, let's roll on. All right, folks, this is our last show for the remainder of the year. We'll be back in the new year. We wish you an incredibly happy Hanukkah, which I know is over now. Uh, yeah. uh, and a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa, Merry Kwanzaa, whatever, whatever. It, it, Merry Kwanzaa. Is it, is it Merry Kwanzaa or Happy Kwanzaa? <laughs> no I, can't, idea. I don't know. Anyway, whatever you celebrate for the rest of the year, uh, I have, have, it, have a fantastic time, and we will see you in two 2019 and mm. we're gonna have we're gonna we're gonna have a great award season. See yeah. you then.